Can you hear me? Oh, hello, everybody. Hey, how's everyone doing today? Awesome. Um, uh, my name is Philip. I work here at Reckless. I help organize this event. And I just want to quickly say thank you, everybody, for coming out today. Uh, thank you for supporting Search and Rescue. Um, we have some people working in our staff who are part of Search and Rescue teams. And over the years at Reckless, they brought it to our attention how important Search and Rescue is. So. We are just super happy as a brewery to be able to support something like this and to be, you know, advocates for the hiking community. So this is super fun. We're really excited. We're now good friends with a Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. So we love having these guys up here. Uh, great beats from, a, I think, I think uh, about two weeks AKA ago. AKA uh, Stomp. Yeah, oh, Stomp. <laughs> yes, Mr. Stomp here. Oh think no, my Batman Bruce Wayne moment. It just happened. Yeah, bring, bring, bring those club vibes. I didn't realize there was going to be such a party in here today, but this is great. I love it. I love it. So anyways, I just want to thank everyone for coming out today. Um, these guys are going to start their podcast, and we're going to have a great show. So get comfortable, uh, fill in where you can, enjoy the show, and yeah, let's have a good time, guys. Thank you. Broadcasting from the Reckless Brewing Company in the Live Free or Die state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, occasionally including the counties of Belknap, I mean Belknap, uh, something like that, and Couscous, wait, or is it Coox County? Whatever. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Is this working? Why don't I have a mic stand, Stomp? Because <laughs> you're a healthy, fit young man. Take it away, kid. You know, I have a problem. Why didn't we get the voiceover guy to actually come here and do the live voiceover? Right? I actually invited him. I actually invited him. The, uh, i got to see what this guy looks like. The guy that does our voiceover stuff, his name is Paul Bisson. And um, if you go to the uh, Slasher Instagram, you can find him pretty easy. But he's a really talented voiceover guy um, right out of north of Boston. And <clears throat> he was actually busy... Uh, opening up a show. So he's involved with some big production, so he couldn't make it. But I asked. I did ask. He's, he's a big part of the show. All right, well, before we start, I got a, I got a lecture about the pronunciation of Chimin Desdame. <laughs> did I do it right? I did it right? Well, not quite right, but all right. Well, I'm hopeless. <clears throat> Close. Close. It's getting better. Close. Honestly, that trail is a nightmare. Like I, it's fine in the summertime, but I do not recommend ever going down or near that trail in, in bad weather. 
Anyway, so live from Rec- Reckless Brewing Company, welcome to episode 130 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Uh, we're all fresh off of a 5K, in a, and I think we did a full conditions hike too, so this place is smelling a little funky, mixed with the beer. It smells like my frat house basement, but we're ready to go. We're going to bottle this up and market it as Slasher Cologne. Very good. So we're here today to support New Hampshire Search and Rescue with the release of Full Conditions IPA. I'm drinking one right now. It's excellent, very fruity. Um, So get ready for a full slate of guests here to talk about hiking and search and rescue, including Ty Gagne. We We got Reckless Steve. We've got Ken Bossy here. Wayne Saunders from the Warden's Watch podcast. So we're gonna learn all about what it's like to be a conservation officer. We've got Floki the cat here. Oh, don't get too excited. Don't wake the cat. Don't get too excited. Um, And then Cindy from the Alzheimer's Association is going to be here. And then we've got Lynn from the Hiking Buddies. And then we've got one other special guest that I haven't told Stomp about yet. Oh. Yep. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Oh, actually, buy some full conditions beer at the bar and enjoy the event. Make sure you tip the the bartenders generously. All right. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Very good. Very good. All right, so uh, we've had a partnership with Hiking Buddies uh, for about a year now, or on and off. Um, they've been on the show a couple of times. So Lynn, who does a lot of work behind the scenes for us, she helps us with guests, she helps us with marketing, she helps us with script ideas. Um, she's here, so she does sort of, a, she helps our show out, and then she also helps the Hiking Buddies out, and she does a million other things with the Alzheimer's Association. How do you even have time to work? I don't. You don't? Okay. <laughs> well... That explains that. But why don't you um, why don't you do a spot for your hiking buddies um, safety spot? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a five hundred one c three nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. Now that daylight savings time is over, the sun goes down around 4.30 in the mountains. Be sure that you always carry two or more headlamps with you. One battery operated with extras, and one USB with a power pack. Relying on your cell phone light is never enough. Remember, two headlamps is one headlamp, and one headlamp is zero. Start early and be safe. Good advice, Lynn. Does anybody else hate daylight savings as much as me? It's awful. All right, just to start off with, I want to say how many mass holes are here? Let's, show, let's hear from Massachusetts. Okay, we all hate you. We're just going to get that out of the way. You're annoying. You drive bad. So Rhode Island's even worse. Don't even talk to me about that. It's like 50 in the left-hand lane, or it's like 100 in the left-hand lane when you see Rhode Island. So um, where's, our, where's our Maine people? Anybody from Maine? All right, I'm half Maine, I think, so it's hard to give credit there. And then Vermont, anybody from Vermont? 
Okay, Vermont. We love you, Green Mountains. Okay. And then New Hampshire. How many people from New Hampshire? Okay. Honestly, I'm from Massachusetts, but New Hampshire is my favorite state. I love you guys. <laughs> so I'm so jealous of you. So I want to get a vanity plate. I want the slasher vanity plate. But And Mrs. Mike's been in the back corner there. So um, she's, I don't know if she's down for moving into New Hampshire, but eventually I'm going to wear her down. But if you see her in the back corner over there, oh, just tell hiding. her to move up here. She's hiding. She's, she's hiding. She's ducking. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I also have my, my youngest daughter, Megan, is in the back corner. She's going to be graduating from Central Catholic this year. So can we get a round of applause for her? And then I also have my oldest daughter, Caroline, is here with her boyfriend. They just ran the 5K this morning. i got to give them a shout-out, too, so you give her applause. She's been on the show before. She just the one that went to Hawaii. So, all right. So that covers me. They're not going to yell at me for not talking about them. Um, all right, stop. So we just came off of Veterans Day, so we want to know, are there any veterans in the house? We want to give you a cheer. All right, stand up. Stand up, veterans. Stand up. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Any, uh, any Marines? Any Marines in the building? Happy birthday, Marines. Semper Fidelis. All right. And then um, if you could just raise your hand if you did the Rescue Me 5K this morning. All right, thank you. Yeah, that's a good event. That's really cool. They, um, just so you know, this is uh, a race for Lakes Region Search and Rescue, and last year they had 200 participants. This year it doubled to over four, five, almost five. Um, so it's fantastic. Again, the community just, just does so much for search and rescue in the state, and uh, it's great to see uh, such support. Are you, do, are you doing this next thing? I tried, to, I tried to catch up with Mike, but I just could not do it. With the, with the race today? Yeah. No, you did fine. <laughs> I got very competitive. I was like, I'm, I'm, I felt like I was 25 again. Oh, this is a joke you're supposed to deliver. I'm supposed to deliver this? Sure. This is going to be horrible. So, <laughs> um, What can reach five feet in length, grow to 400 pounds, and run 30 miles per hour? No, not stomp at today's 5K? It's a feral pig. Oh, a feral pig. <laughs> oh. So this story just came over the wires. So it's a feral pig has been spotted in New Hampshire, or feral pigs. So that's pretty interesting. So this just came over the, uh, the news the other day. So no, it's not me. It's an actual feral pig. So, so you may have seen one running at Lincoln today, but that was... Not a feral pig, it was me. So typically when we talk about mythical animals that we're concerned about in New Hampshire, it's always mountain lions, but you're saying now there's feral pigs we have to worry about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yetis, yetis well, occasionally. So how many people have been hiking and you run into like a grouse that's in like, you ever had that happen to you? There's a grouse in, and then it sounds like a feral pig and you have a heart attack. So I can only imagine if for an actual feral pig... I don't even know what is a feral pig, but I, I don't know. It's, but I would be afraid if that happened to me. Uh, they're, they're raised in the wild. Wild. They're not domesticated. They're just, yeah. You know. They don't want to be eaten for breakfast, that's for sure. Well, bacon sounds good right now. All right, so moving on. <laughs> it's time to book your snowmobile tour with Stomp. So um, yeah. I predict that we're going to have like a wet winter, but maybe we'll have snow. So I, we'll I don't know. El Nino. So Hopefully it'll be good. But um, yeah, Northern Extremes, if anybody's interested, um, I would start booking now because they, they're going to be sold out really quick. Who's excited to snowmobile? Anybody out there ride? 
All right. Yeah, everybody's getting revved up. So, yeah, Northern Extremes, uh, check them out. And um, I, I guide for them. So if anybody wants to hang with me for a couple hours and rip it through the mountains, then it'd be a lot of fun. And All we right. have a special first special guest here, Yeah, right? yeah, just to give people some background. Uh, so I never want to do these live events. Like, I'm super nervous, and I'm like, stop, I don't want to do these live events. Like, let's just do stuff from our basement. But he's always like, it's good for the, it's good for the show, it's good for the audience, so he'll, he'll drag me out. But I'm like, I don't know what to do for two hours. And so we, got, we were thinking about, like, you know, who are some of the guests that we've had in the past. And Ken has always been on twice. So Ken Bossy um, has been a great guest for us and a great friend. And so we wanted to invite Ken on. He's done some um, presentations for the various search and rescue organizations over the years. So we wanted to just invite Ken up to, uh, to do about a five, ten minute segment. He's going to do a little stand-up. I tried to do stand-up comedy, I think, the first time that we did this. And it was, like, horrendous. So I thought that, you know, Ken could give it a shot. So no pressure. Yeah. Yeah. You're nervous. I'm not even a comedian. <laughs> We're all hikers over here, though, right? Yeah. 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 My therapist says I'm doing really well getting over my addiction of hiking, but I'm not out of the woods yet. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted I wanted to do this I wanted this to be educational because we're always learning more and more about hiking. So I want to talk to you about two most important things about hiking that you probably don't get a lot of information on. And that's peeing and pooping in the outdoors. <laughs> so first of all, like for peeing, the number one thing you need to know is you gotta have trustworthy friends. Because when we leave, we're coming from south of Concord, right? And we already passed like 12 Dunkin' Donuts on the way to the trailhead. So by the time I get to the trailhead, I've already had like a large frozen, two pumpkin spices, and a blueberry made regular. And you know, we hit the trail. I know Dave and I came up once and we were gonna do the Penny Ridge. And uh, we were going up falling waters. And by that time, my bladder was the size of a basketball under about 25 pounds of pressure. And uh, we're standing by the waterfall. That's nature's way of saying, let me help you urinate whether you want to or not, right? And I'm like, Dave, I gotta go. Like, my back teeth are floating. I gotta shake the dew off the lily. I gotta go now. So he's like, well, let's, let's hit the switchbacks, and I'll stand at one of the peaks, and I'll watch down trail, and you can go up trail and relieve yourself. And so I go up trail, and I'm telling you why. I mean, it was like pressure of a four-inch fire hose. It was just coming out of me like crazy. And all of a sudden, I get about halfway. You know how you get that gas gauge? You kind of like, no, like I'm halfway through. And I hear Dave say, hikers coming up the trail. And I still got old Henry going to work over here, and I turn and I say, what? And he goes by me with the most sinister looking grin on his face. And he says, hikers coming up the trail. And I'm like, where? He goes, they're right behind you. I turn around, and there's this couple in their mid-20s, guy and a girl, and they're looking at me like this. I tried to stop. It's not easy to stop when you're in the middle of something like that. I eat all over my hiking pants. I mean, I put the little guy to sleep for the night, but I think he was still crying. It was horrible. It was so embarrassing. And, uh, and so that's why you got to have good, trustworthy friends, not friends like Dave, who's a total jerk, right? And, uh, but in my defense, I just want to say to that couple, whoever they are, wherever they are, it's really rude and impolite to point at somebody's genitalia and start laughing. That's just unacceptable right there. Tip number two, diarrhea. That's not a funny thing. That's hereditary. It runs in your genes. I'm doing a flat hike in Patekaway Park. It's right in my backyard. I'm doing about seven miles in Patekaway Park. And, uh, and I'm just walking down the trail, and all of a sudden, my stomach does this. Like, 
it jiggled. I mean, I thought Alien was in there. And uh, uh, the best way I can describe it are those big water coolers where you go and you get a drink of water, and when you're done, the cooler goes Like, that's what happened down here. And I'm like, that's different. And I just keep hiking, I didn't think anything. And then all of a sudden, like, a sharp pain, like the tonic plates had crashed. And they're building up pressure, the earthquake's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so I'm like, I, I gotta get off trail. So I'm looking around, I get off trail, I start going around in circles like a dog looking for the right place, you know? And uh, finally I drop my drawers and I sit down, perspiration on my forehead, this is gonna be nasty. You ever stick a straw in a glass of water and put your thumb on the top of it? And you pick it up and you're like, oh, look at this. And then you break the vacuum, right? Y'all done that little trick? Well, I'm sitting there squatting in the woods and I thought, I'm gonna need divine help. And I went to utter a prayer and when I opened my mouth, the vacuum broke. And it was, but it was like, you remember when you were a kid and they used to say, don't swallow the gum because it stays in your digestive system for seven years? That ain't true. Like I'm saying, everything from my teeth to my sphincter went out. I was squeaky clean the whole way through. I even passed a couple of partially dissolved uh, baby teeth. I mean, like everything was coming out. It was ridiculous, right? But here's the good news. I had TP. I had about a quarter of a roll of TP in my bag with my possibilities and my 10 essentials and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, this is gonna be good. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. It, it was bad, the more you clean, the worse it got. I went through the TP, I went through a couple of Dunkin' Donuts napkins. I even, well you know, I didn't need that beanie anyway. I mean, it was just horrible. I just went through everything. I finally got done, I used some leaves, I mean, it was nasty. I finally got done, and I thought it's over, and then I looked and I'm like, is that poop? You said you had that little girl in that film. You've seen a little girl, her mom puts frosting on her hands. She says, oh, the dog had an accident. She's like, is that poop? Is that poop? She starts going, and that's me. I'm out in the woods. I'm like, is that poop? Is that poop? And then you have that three-second brain fog where your, where your brain tells you, that's not poop. That's impossible for it to be poop. So you always do that infallible test. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was poop. <laughs> I started singing a new song. I got poop on my hands and it won't go. Poop on my hands and it won't go. Cause there's poop on the ground. There's poop all around. Oh no, it's horrible. But we understand this being hikers, right? We know that there's a difference between hiking life and life life. Like in life life, when you get dehydrated and you're dying, right? No problem. You go to Dunkin' Donuts. You get one of those fruity flavored energy drinks. You're good to go. When you're hiking and you're way out there and you're dehydrated and you've got no hydration and it's really, really hot, you go in your bag and you grab out that $5.95 life straw that you got from uh, Walmart and you stick it in that puddle. Now I know they say it filters out 99.99% of bacteria, but it still tastes like swamp, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, that's hiking life, life life. Hiking life, if you're doing an overnighter, you bring along a freeze-dried meal, right? I've got one that I bought about two years ago. It's pizza. I don't even know who manufactured it. I've never tasted it because I've never been so excited and so terrified in all my life. <laughs> excited to thought to think I'm gonna have pizza out in the woods, terrified to think of how many pizza instructions do you know that says add a cup of boiling water and let's for five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, I just can't do it, right? It's like it's not gonna be like a large box pepperoni pizza. It's like fearful. And then in life life, have you ever seen a movie where the guy and the girl are dressed to the nines? They go out and they do this beautiful formal. They get back to the hotel room and there's a lot in the air. And they got a chilled bottle of champagne, but oops, they forgot the glasses. 
So the guy takes the lady's high heel. Something about that, right? Pours the champagne in the high heel. It's supposed to be so romantic. I think you get out a little bit of a foot fetish going myself. But, you know, and, and they drink the champagne from the high heel shoe. So hiking life. You and the little lady just bagged owl's head. Oh, yeah, 16 miles. You get back to the car, you got a chill bottle of champagne. You forgot the glasses. What do you do? You're looking at her little hiking boot. <laughs> it's got pink laces. And you're thinking, why not? You fill it up with champagne. You take that first sip. Is champagne supposed to be oily? And then you're like, did you lose a toenail? That's just, you know, we understand this as hikers, right? You know you're a hiker when the 10 essentials are your 10 favorite snacks, right? You, you just, I mean, it's just, you know you're a hiker when a fossilized mummy has better looking toenails than yours, right? You know you're a hiker when rolling a joint means you blow out an ankle on Mount Lafayette. You tell your buddies, I just rolled a joint. And I'm like, oh, dude, let's light that bone up. And you're like, you know, you get to the hospital and you've got burn marks on your ankle. What's that all about? You know you're a hiker when the smell of bug spray on your significant other turns you on. You're like walking down the trail and you're just stopping. You're like, babe, is that off? And she's really seductive when she turns and she goes, no, it's cutters. And you're like, 40% deep? Like, let's take it off trail right now. Let's take it off. You know what they're going to do off trail? Anybody ever done that going up? Don't raise, don't raise your hands. That's just wrong. That's it. I don't believe in nudity in the woods. I know we've got like a hike naked day or some crazy thing like that. I, I don't, you know, like Percy, we've seen your peaks. Yeah, no, no more. Like, I, I don't need to be out in the woods to see any more blowdowns, right? We don't need that kind of stuff. So, here's the thing. Um, Ty Gagney, is he here? He's here. He's here. Ty, yeah, I've never met him, but uh, well, actually, I, I was talking to How you doing? I was talking to him earlier. I'm in the last traverse where you'll find me. I was talking to him earlier. I says, you know, your books aren't funny. <laughs> he said, yeah, I read yours. They're not funny either. <laughs> Who names are Kid Ty? Who names are Kid Ty, right? Like you're all here to tie one on. Ty Conoroga. Mike Tyson. So, but I was talking to him, I said, listen, when it's my time to go and I die in the mountains, I want you to write the book. It's not gonna be the last reverse. It's not gonna be where you'll find me. It's gonna be the last time you find me. And it's gonna start with the, you know, the whole setting up of the book is gonna be the grueling, terrifying conditions of hiking in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Like only he can do. He's a wordsmith. He's a linguistic genius. He's going to put it all together. It's going to be spellbinding. Then he's going to get into the number one killer of middle-aged old fat men, right? Heart failure. He's going to have the statistics, the graphs, everything like only he can do. He's going to interview Dr. Grundy, Dr. Oz, Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's all going to be there. And then the book's going to start. Ken was a fat-ass wannabe unconditioned hiker. <laughs> Ken was hiking Mount Willard. Oh, yeah. Mount Willard. It ain't going to be uh, Huntington Ravine. It ain't going to be Mount Washington. It's not going to be Mount Lafayette. It's going to be friggin' Mount Willard, right? Like already, somebody just hot-topped that thing and turned it into a walkway. I mean, Ken was hiking Mount Willard when he encountered a cardiac event. He crapped himself from his sphincter down to his ankles. 
and then he fell down expired. They called in for a recovery. Pemajawasic search and rescue team said no. Androscoggin search and rescue team said no. Upper Valley, no. Fish and game, hell no. But the outdoor council, the outdoor council were there. They said, we've decided to donate Ken's body to the betterment of the malnutritious animals in the White Mountains Forest. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. Test, test. Yeah, stick around for a sec here, Ken. So, so I had a couple questions for you. We just came off the 5K, and I'm curious to get your perspective on the difference between trail runners and hikers. Do you have any, uh, any comments on that? Yes, yes. So hikers um, are demented, and trail runners are just flat-out mental. Now, what about, so you, you do get out, I mean, your local, like, uh, stomping ground is Pawtuckaway, but have you, if you look back at this year, could you sort of, could you pick out, like, your favorite hike that you did in the Whites? Um, yeah, we did, um, uh, Ian and I, we did Eisenhower over to Pierce, and okay. uh, that was just a great hike. I think it was because of the weather was just, it was a drop-dead gorgeous day. Really enjoyed that hike. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then... Um, do you have any predictions for the winter season? Do you think that we're going to get a lot of snow, or do you think it's going to be a bust this year? I think we're going to get a lot of snow. Okay. I do, yeah. Right. You know, I was thinking about the outdoor council, and I was thinking, like, council sounds to me like it's a bunch of old people in a room, like a boardroom with board people with clipboards, but they're talking about the outdoors. That's what I don't get. They're talking about... Do they go outdoors? They're a commission, so they're, they're the ones that are in charge of sort of overseeing everything, but yeah. they probably yeah. spend more time, like, thinking about outdoors than going outdoors. I remember getting my buns freezer burned on Mount Jackson, and there was no outdoor council out there. No, no, no. <laughs> I feel like whenever I hear outdoor council, it feels like, like the Lord of the Rings. Like, there's a, yeah. it's, it's very official. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, so I don't know. Well, that's good. So how are your book sales going? Great. So the book is now in Mountain Wanderer. Um, it's up at Boncliff Bookstore in Littleton. It's in REI in uh, Conway. Of course, it's on Amazon. We're going to be looking at getting it in REI in Bedford as well. So the book sales are going great. All the profits, by the way, go to the Outdoor Council. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a win-win situation. If you don't like the book, you made a great cause. You made a great contribution. Now, when you, when you sit down to sort of figure out, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this stand-up routine together, and I'm going to, here's the topics and things like that, like, there's a lot of it, like, basically, like, crapping your pants topics here. Did that actually happen to you? Is that what motivated you? Oh, yeah, in Pawtuckaway, that was, unfortunately, yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was a, that was an yeah. event. Up until that point, I had never crapped in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, you know, the whole thing about does a wild man crap in the woods? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, well, I actually, unfortunately, that's happened to me multiple times. Ooh. And there's an ethical <laughs> Honesty. situation. Honesty. Yeah, there's an ethical situation. Situation that goes on when you're when you're faced with that stomach issue, because you really have to make the decision how far off trail do you go. I know. Be, and the main reason I think about it is because you don't want dogs to find whatever you have to leave yeah. there. Yeah. So um, I feel like the really good people go like two, three hundred people, uh, two, three hundred feet off trail. Yeah. The really bad people do like ten, fifteen feet or so. Yeah. So, yeah. Can, can you? 
Yeah. Can you explain I mean, how far you go? Unfortunately, it was early. It was early spring, so there's no foliage. Yeah, I did go about 65 feet off trail. But you know okay. those bright hiking colors? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just show up right through the woods. Wow. And I know, like the day I went out, I didn't think there was anybody in the park at all. Yeah. And uh, I no sooner was like cleaning up, and I hear some voices coming up trail, and I'm like, here we go. Yeah, I just hope they didn't see me. I acted like I didn't see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always an interesting uh, situation. But I think hikers all understand. The problem is, is that you run into the random, like, one-time hikers, and they, you know, they see you uh, in a compromised position. It's not good. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Sad. Well, thank you so much, Ken. You're thanks, awesome. Ken. Thanks I for was, having me. That was great, huh? Stitches. Yeah, thanks. Let's hear it for Correct. Ken Bossy. All right, so Stomp, we got a little housekeeping here. So we have a bunch of stickers. So stickers. I'm stickers looking at this. Friend. So we have we have slasher stickers. We've got um, Fantasy Pants, which is Reckless Steve's podcast. Yeah. We've got Warden's Watch stickers, and then oh, we nice. have um, some of these uh, stickers that you can put on the outside of your window of your car that basically just tell thieves that your car is unlocked. So if you want to grab those, you can. Go nuts here. So just come up during the show if you want to grab them, or you can just wait till after the show. All right, so this is the part of the show where we talk about what beer we're drinking, Stomp. So what are you oh, drinking? Oh, well, what's the answer, everybody? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I'm drinking the same thing here. So Excellent, excellent. Full so, conditions. Um, yeah, we're going to have Reckless Steve come up here, and then Ty as well. So why don't you guys come on up? All right. Uh, well, they're making their way up. I just want to give a shout-out to Ian, Marlena, Steve, Andy Cannon, um, Philip, the whole Reckless crew, the bartenders, everybody for being so supportive of the hiking community and the search and rescue community. Um, the Reckless is like they, they've gone above and beyond all the time to support everybody. So um, thank you so much. All right, guys, so this is a, a, a bear collaboration between you two, huh? Yeah. Um, second time now, I think, we've done this event. Um, great to be here. Great to see everybody. Yeah. Who so are we, you? I am Steven. <laughs> I brew beer here at Reckless. Uh, I'm also on a volunteer search and rescue team. Um, happy to be here. Happy to see everybody. Great. And also welcome Ty Gagney. Ty, why don't you introduce yourself? Want to introduce yourself? I'm Ty. You nice to see everyone. Thank you to our veterans, by the way. Awesome. All right. So, Steve and Ty, you guys have worked together to um, basically create this full conditions beer. Can you talk about the, the history behind it and then the collaboration? Like, how did you come to uh, come up with the idea for the type of beer and then the ingredients that you put into it? I think the beer was your idea in the first place. Yeah, uh, Stomp gets all the credit for this, for making the connection. Um, I had known that you had had uh, Reckless staff on the podcast before. I'm a big fan of Reckless. Um, obviously, the beer and the food is awesome, but I've always been drawn to the culture here. The servers are, and the team are just fantastic people, and Marlion and Ian, the owners, are just so engaged, and um, you can just feel that when you come here. And so... Mm. I talked to Stomp about, gosh, you know, I have this idea. I'd love to collaborate with Reckless on a beer. I've already got a name for it, Full Conditions, which is the title of the prologue from where you'll find me. And, right. and Stomp was like, stand by. And then here we are. So 
all the credit goes to you and Stephen for making it. Oh, of course. Yeah, perfect, so, perfect uh, trio so here. So, yeah. Steve, how do you, what's the starting point for making a beer? Like, I don't even know how you, you go about it. You, you, you obviously have to decide the type of beer that you're going to make, right? Is that the first step? Um, I guess inspiration can come from a, a lot of different places, but in, in the case of Full Conditions, Ty got a hold of us and said, hey, yeah, I want to make an IPA that's, I don't remember exactly what the whole conversation was, but I remember Fruity. I took Fruity away and I said, okay, great. I've got an excellent idea. We're always trying to try new things here. And at the time, that was this, this new yeast that's genetically modified to release these thiols that are super, super, super fruity. So that's what we built this beer around. We said, okay, we know, wanna, we, know we wanna use this yeast to get this effect. Now let's build a beer around that that's gonna complement it. All right, and the beer's on tap here, and then you also sell it uh, retail as well? Yeah, by the door, there's a cooler with some cans in there. We also sell growlers. Um, What's the alcohol level? Because I'm feeling a little buzz right now. I oh. only have one beer. <laughs> on full conditions, I'm actually looking up at the board. I, I, sometimes I have such a tough time remembering. It's 6%. Yeah. 6%, 6%, yeah. yeah. But a, you ran I'm a race. You ran a race this morning. I know, you earned it. You earned it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I haven't eaten yet, so I guess that's it. So maybe I should have another one, and then I won't be driving home. Caroline, no more drinking. You're shut off. You're driving me home. Okay. There's a couple of lower ABV options, too, for anybody who does have to drive. So Okay. That's good. And then um, how long does it take to make a beer? So for an ale like this one, um, we call it grain to glass, about two weeks, give or take a day or two. Um, if we're brewing a lager, that's a slower fermentation process. That's more like four or five weeks. Okay. Yeah. Do you have your own personal preference? Because you're you're a beer expert. Do you have? Do you prefer IPAs, or do you have a, a type of beer that you like specifically? I, that's not an IPA. N- I couldn't pick. It's like picking a favorite child. Okay. It, it depends on. Depends I have on a the favorite d- child. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. Uh, it depends on the day. It depends on the weather. It you know there's there's so many different wonderful flavors and colors to experience. I, I, I can't say no to anyone. And what's the fruit that's in this? None. There's, there's no, no fruit. There's so no fruit. Didn't you wanted a fruity tasting beer? Like a New England IPA, for sure. So how did yeah. you fruity make it flavor. taste like fruity flavor? Well, a lot of that comes from hop selection, but the, the, big, um, the big fruit flavor that you're getting, or tropical fruit flavor that you're getting, is from this, uh, this compound. It's an aromatic compound. They're thiols. So we can get thiols in a small amount through, through uh, just being in... The ingredient, like if anybody's a fan of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc is really well known for being um, big, high in, in these free thiols, and a lot of that comes from the, the grape skins. So we can unlock, quote unquote, those, those thiol compounds by using some of these new yeasts that companies are genetically modifying to be able to break them off from whatever compounds they're attached to, and then they become this crazy aromatic. I think it's something like three or six like droppers from a, from a pipette into like an Olympic swimming pool of these thiols, and you'll be able to perceive it. So, so the, the, the ingredient selection, you know, things like we used saws hops, and we used them in a little bit of an unconventional way. We put them in the mash where you usually just have grain and hot water to make the sugar water. But 
adding those hops at that time has been shown to, to give you a higher amount of these thiol precursors. So the whole way you're building precursors, 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 then it goes into the fermenter, you add this, this genetically modified yeast that can just lop them off and unlock them all, and we can get a big fruit flavor, specifically very tropical, a lot of guava, passion fruit, um, without having to use too, too many hops. There's a lot of hops in here for you hop heads, but <laughs> we don't have to use nearly as much to get this flavor. I can't tell if I'm hungover or it's all the math. Well, I, <laughs> these are all the things I asked Steve to do when he put it together, like the precursors, and I think I wanted five. I don't remember. Yeah, I think we went with six or seven, yeah. Do you, how do you research all this? Do you, is this just in-house knowledge that you have learned over time, or do you go on like some like secret internet message board to learn all uh, this? Well, I mean, yeah, you'd be surprised how much you can learn off Reddit. Really? For real. I mean, there's that. Um, but there's also all sorts, of, all sorts of trade shows. We're always going out trying to learn. Um, Ian and, and Marlena and Reckless are happy to send me out somewhere to get some training to learn something new, and and that's where a lot of this knowledge was uh, was picked up, and, and also from from friends in the industry. You know, we, we all play nice in the sandbox. It's uh, kind of like no secrets in the brew house sort of sort of mentality. Okay. So everybody's happy to teach. I'm happy to learn, and uh, it's a great result usually. What other beers are you making right now? You have anything new on on tap? Um. So. One, you, you asked me about beers that I like, yeah. and I can tell you that I'm not a fan of sour beers. I, I know a lot oh, of you are. Oh, and my my daughter's you, boyfriend, is, he's angry right now. Well, I've got great news. <laughs> I've got great news because the new batch of Party in Your Mouth either is on, oh, is on tap right now, oh, yeah. He's, he's drinking it right now. He's got it. So, so we usually make it with, um, that one actually does have fruit additions, and we could get into that if you wanted to, but... Um, <laughs> we usually do pomegranate and passion fruit in the uh, part in your mouth. This year we wanted to do something a little more uh, uh, winter friendly, so we went with black currant. So it's a, re it's a beautiful color, really tasty. If you like a sour beer, I suggest at least trying it. Yeah. Excellent. And then uh, you were telling me about a new Polish-inspired beer. Mm -hmm. my, my wife and I and my family, we, uh, we took a trip to Poland this winter, and one of the many things that I brought back was the desire to brew a Polish beer. So the Grodziecki is up there. Um, that's a result of some of my inspiration from the, the trip to Poland. I drank as many of them as I could, and, and I brought back what I liked the most. Um, it might not be for everybody. It's got a little bit of a smoky flavor, but if you try it and you like it, I'd really love to hear what you think. And I guess if you don't like it, you can tell me too. That's okay. Yeah, I might check that out afterwards. Yeah. So, excellent. Stop. Any questions for Ty or a Reckless Steve? Absolutely none. Nothing? <laughs> He's had too many beers, I think. So, great. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, why don't you guys stick around? This is the part of the show where we're going to talk about recent hikes. So, um, have you been out? Yes. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, I'm proud of you. All right. Thank so <laughs> He sounds shocked. Yeah, no, 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 because I know that you, you were sort of like grinding on the, the writing yeah, piece of it. Yes, so where have you been out recently? Uh, Smartsbrook, just oh, nice. kind of simple, but great, yeah. beautiful spot. That's and you didn't area. send me a text. I know. It was That's brief. That's wonderful. Nice. That area is, <laughs> I, I've started to explore it more and more because I'm on the other side. So whenever we talk about recent hikes, Stomp's always talking about, you know, the Waterville Valley area and that area. But yeah, I'm always amazing. like on the other side. But yeah, I've started yeah. to get over there more and it's, it is beautiful. Over it there. is. It certainly is. 
Yeah, what, it's my backyard. Yeah, what about you? You haven't done anything since that East uh, Pond hike? Well, we just released the show, so I just yeah, divulged yeah, yeah. all those hikes that we, you know, we did the Watcher. That, who, who thinks the Watcher's getting run down? I mean, it's changed so much, right? Unbelievable. Uh, three or four years ago, it was actually really challenging. Now it's like a super highway with switchbacks. I couldn't believe it. So, yeah, it's just, it is what it is, but uh, yeah. it was well, a don't, nice time. I mean, don't oversell. It's still sketchy. Like, sure. going up that last chute is definitely sketchy, and I would say oh, yeah. if you're going with people, make sure you keep some separation, because that is, uh, that was one of the things that we had, I was making sure that my friend Tom was staying back off of me, because I did separate. let some rocks, yeah, I let yeah. some rocks loose. Yeah, for sure. But it's a nice area there, for sure. Definitely huh. standing up on uh, so the that's all I get. Hope to get out soon in the uh, the trace. What when are we getting the next uh, Norincher? I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully not soon. But Norincher, come on. <laughs> and then I I just went over a recent hike I did on Mount Greylock. So I went out to Western Mass again. Really fell in love with that area, and I'm thinking about going back out there for a winter hike. One of the cool things about Greylock that I notice is they have the, there's lean-tos in the area, but they have. Uh, sheds next to the lean-tos where they have uh, the trail maintainers are actually they leave firewood out so they're they're stocked up for the winter so you can actually have a nice winter uh, campfire which is great take so the, and take the fruits of their labor yeah exactly Love and it. it's it's actually the elevation gain on Greylock is not that significant it's sort of like Ossipes or the bell naps a little bit so I th I'm thinking for a winter overnight that's a more um, I guess appealing hike for me versus some of the stuff in the whites that I've done in the past where I've absolutely frozen to death. So anyway, but what about you? How was the hike today? You guys went up to Lonesome Lake? Today was great. Yeah, I've actually been on Lonesome Lake more this year than I have in many years before. A couple weeks ago, uh, a couple friends and I went up to go see the first snowfall below 2,000 feet, sat in the, uh, in the hut, had some hot chocolate, watched the snowfall, and it was very much the same today, but there were a lot more friends, a lot more hot cocoa, and we were outside. But but it was, it was really nice. It was good to see everybody, yeah. What do you get planned for winter adventures? Uh, I don't have anything concrete planned, but I have been bugging my buddy David, who works in the kitchen here at Reckless. I, just, I, I texted him, I said, hey man, we just gotta get out. You pick what we do, I don't care. We're just gonna go out after work. Late start, bring headlamps, bring warm gear. Just wanna do something, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready for the winter hiking. I gotta finish my winter 4,000 footer list. If you're up for an owl's head hike. I'm asking everybody. Uh, I, I'll, I'm like I'll dreading it. it. I'll do it. That's you awesome. let me know. I'll do yeah. it. Yeah. Rhonda's down. Okay. You go, girl. You're you're out there all the time. So, excellent. Huh. All right, Stomp. Any other questions about recent hikes? No. You, dude, you're not. You're, you're doing nothing. I'm doing all the work. I'm here. just having such a great time watching this podcast. This oh is cool. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I appreciate both of you. So, Ty, you're going to come back in a few minutes. I am. Yep. We have like the most important guest that's, that we're going to super, set. super I mean, special which guest. Is Wayne. Well, it's Wayne's very important, but we have Floki the cat coming oh, on here. Oh, right. Yeah. Who competes with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Floki's mom is going to come up. So, Mel, come on up here. Yeah, well, you want to come up? Yeah. So, all and, right. Uh, so, thanks, thank guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Let's hear for Steve and Ty. Mel, do not blame me for this. This is all so, Stomp's um, dumb idea. Yeah, I am the cruelest DJ in the world because I tormented Floki that whole hour with the big beats. I put Floki right behind this thing here. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. She was okay. It's the, I'm going straight to hell. There's no question about it. <laughs> it <laughs> 
is this what you were talking about? <laughs> now that Stomp has completely disappointed the audience. First of all, the first time I met Floki, I was like, I, I've, it was like I met Taylor Swift. It was amazing. So, anyway, so apparently the idea that Stomp has is that we're going to interview Floki. So you, you mean you're doing actual purring? <laughs> yeah, he's got the he's got the uh, sound effects. That's great. <laughs> you may need to provide some of the answers or interpret some I of the answers. I can try. I can okay. try really hard. <laughs> all right. So the first question I have for Floki is: We all know that Floki is a Floki's. A, it's a weird scenario because Floki's an indoor cat, meaning that you don't let Floki roam no. free. But Floki's also an outdoor cat because Floki spends so much time outdoors. But the question I have for Floki is, if you could have your choice, would you be a free-roaming free outdoor cat or would you be an indoor cat? <coughs> Floki wants to be an outdoor free-roaming cat, Mel. You've been keeping him, pr Folky, prisoner. I think she likes to be indoors because she likes all the treats and the attention. Folky <laughs> disagrees, I think. <laughs> you must set set her free. I yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Now the next question is Floki. Who is your favorite cartoon cat between Garfield, Tom from Tom and Jerry, and Hello Kitty? Tom. <laughs> no, no, she said cat in the hat. She went with another option. Not even on the list. <laughs> yeah. She likes Dr. Seuss. Have you read Floki Dr. Seuss? No. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> what is, Floki must be sneaking off and doing their own reading when you're not around. I mean, who knows? <laughs> All right. We live in Kearsarge, and there's lots of uh, Tomcats around, so All maybe. Right. <laughs> All right, now here's another one. You may, need to, you may need to give this answer. So, Floki, oh, what is your least favorite 4,000 footer? <laughs> Floki has gas. <laughs> um, God, uh, Adams. Adams. <laughs> Adams. Okay, that's why. All right, so hold on. So now, Floki, what is your uh, most favorite four thousand for it? Where she actually enjoyed it. Time outside. Uh, Wait, do you actually hear that behind your head I while can you're hear hiking? Yeah, I do. Yeah, she actually does talk to me. Oh, that's uh, Especially beautiful. when I face plant. <laughs> she, oh, yeah. she like cheers me on to get back up. <laughs> um, her favorite. Pierce, probably. Pierce, yeah, yeah. that's a good choice. She, she, like, she, I think, probably had the most on her feet on Pierce. Uh, and then, well, Chikora isn't a 4,000-footer, but she actually hiked the entire thing She on did her without, own. We, on her own. So it's so funny because I had, before I knew you were definitely going to be here, I had like the answers already queued up. <laughs> and I said that her, um, Floki's favorite 4,000-footer was Mount Adams, but you said it's her least oh, favorite. Oh, God, no. It's no, a long one. There's a lot yeah. of wind. She yeah, does yeah, not yeah. like the wind. She nope. doesn't like the wind. Mm-mm. All right. That's interesting. So, now, Floki, you're you're probably like the biggest hiking influencer that we we have in New England at Me? this point. No. Yeah, Floki, Floki. Oh, Floki, yeah. yeah. But um, who is your favorite 
hiking influencer that's not you? Oh my god, Eric Todd Sweet. <laughs> Eric, I love you. I'm sorry. I do. I love him very, it had very to be. much. It could only be but him. Honestly, I would say probably Littlefoot. Oh, Littlefoot, yeah. Littlefoot, yeah. So. Littlefoot Where is, is Littlefoot? I saw her today. Here? I gave no. her a fist pump. I did see her. I keep promising that my daughter is going to hike with her, and <laughs> we just haven't made it happen yet. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. we're just kidding about Eric. We love Eric. He's yeah, we love Eric. such a cool dude. <laughs> I mean, he's so self-deprecating. I don't know if anybody heard the Golden Gator Awards that we made last year with, yeah, uh, yeah. It, with the fake advertisements and things. <laughs> like, he came right in. He's like, yeah, I'll do that. His ad was so funny. Yeah. So yeah, Golden Gator Awards. If you haven't heard it, check it out. It's really funny. All right. Is that so the one that I won that I didn't know that I. I think you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So I'll interpret the answer on this one here. Okay. Okay. So um, Floki, if you could give one piece of advice to other hiking cats or or the owners of other hiking cats, what would it be? All right. So Floki is saying to make sure that anybody that's going to be carrying their cats is very particular about washing behind their ears because the smell there. So do you, are you not washing behind your ears enough? I is mean, that what's I, going I on? I do, I think. Maybe not enough. Okay. But. Well, you might want to work on it. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, Floki, what is your favorite place to hang out after you go hiking? Well, here, of course. Yes. That's the only answer, right? So. Literally, I always come here. Yeah, yeah. So. Awesome, Mel. So what's... um so. Floki, you're done. You're retired. <laughs> what, uh, what else is the plan? Are you doing a lot of winter hiking? Are you getting ready to go out and do any big adventures? So, uh, well, I've kind of, I sort of have like a blank slate right now because everything kind of got a little screwed up back in uh, September. So I'm just planning as I go right now, and I'm, basically our goal is just to get out, to have fun, to be with friends, to either be solo and just get out and experience yeah. it and... We don't really have a direction right now. But you're still motivated to keep going. You're oh, absolutely. Not getting bored. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to. Do you ever um, think about like taking Floki to other regions of the country? So, I do. Yeah. Um, I don't know how flying works. I am a very <laughs> sheltered yeah, yeah, human. Yeah. So, I don't know how that works. I don't. Okay. But um, I definitely want to get her out with me in New York. Um, that was a big goal of mine over this past summer. And hopefully, we'll be able to... Um, do this coming uh, spring or summer, and I'd like to bring her there. We've done half of the Devil's Path. I would love to finish the other half. Um, there's a lot that I would love to that I would love to get out there and do with her. Awesome. Well, I I just speaking for myself, I think that it's important to um, have inspirations and happiness in in our lives and i feel like you and floki and what you do for the hiking community and just sharing your adventure is like a really beneficial thing for everybody and um you know there's so much that goes on in the world that a little bit of sort of just pure happiness and fun yeah yeah no we appreciate it and we love floki and we love you yes and thank you for yep. all you do oh, thank you very yeah. much yeah. thank you so. thank you floki <laughs> I don't try. i'm here to try <laughs> Awesome. Uh, All, right. All right. <laughs> you, did, you did great. So. All right. Now we have a sponsor just to read about. So does anybody here have uh, a sweat problem, a back sweat problem? Not anymore. Not anymore. All right. So um, sweat can be an extremely uncomfortable 
uh, experience on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There is a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack size 15 liters to 65 liters and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over three ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit valclusegear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER, that's S-L-A-S-R, to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Yeah, and if anybody's interested, I actually brought my pack in, and it's hanging up over here. So you can check out the Valcluse. This is the older model. There's like a new model that's lighter. Um, but you can you know, just take it off if you want to put it on and check it out. But I highly recommend if you have a hiker that is looking for a Christmas present, this is a good option. And I've been stress testing this thing a lot lately because I heard on like there was some social media post where people were like, I don't even know if they use this thing. Like I definitely use this and when I was on Greylock this last weekend I was pushing it hard and it actually did keep me pretty dry. So it's worth checking out. I haven't done a ton in the winter with it, but I suspect that it's gonna be pretty good. So um, especially above tree line if you position it so that the wind's going across your back. It's it's pretty solid. So I'd highly recommend it. Do you want to uh, pass me Floki so we can put Floki to bed? We don't want to obstruct. Yeah, yeah, here it comes. Football season. (laughs) (laughs) Nice catch. Never do that to a Everybody can pass Floki around. So So cruel. All right. Don't give it back to Stomp. Is Wayne in the building? Mr. Saunders. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Wayne can come up and hang out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on up. people. So, come on up, Wayne. You Welcome. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So, yeah, grab a mic here. But before before we get into talking to Wayne, we're gonna have Cindy from um, Alzheimer's come up for a second. So, Cindy, where are you? Why don't you slide over here, Wayne? Okay. Yeah. Right there, Cindy. Just don't drink my beer. Oh no, I won't okay. <laughs> oh, you're a stout guy, huh? Yeah. Okay. So, Cindy, welcome back. You've been Thanks. on the show before. So, Cindy's with the Alzheimer's Association, so we partnered with you the last couple of years. Yeah, it looks like it's oh, okay. on there. So, cool. what's going on with Alzheimer's? How was, how was the fundraising this year, and then what's the plan for next year? We had a really great 2023. We raised over $187,000 for the Alzheimer's Association. Nice. And that was, um, so 48 Peaks Hike for Alzheimer's is part of the Massachusetts, New Hampshire chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. So that 187,000 contributed to the entire chapter um, total of over a million dollars for the Alzheimer's Association this year. That's awesome. And we are the first chapter in the country to do that. So it was a huge year for us. And we have a lot of your listeners to thank and you guys to thank. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, what's the plan for next year? Is there anything new or is it just like continue forward with the system that you've already built out and Mm -hmm. make it bigger? Yeah, so we're going to continue. We're still in the planning stages, but it's going to be the same as this past year where we have the usual hike the 48 peaks of New Hampshire 
you can also create your own challenge. So we had some people hike like Mount Willard, Mount Jacora. We had a couple people do a half Prezi. So you can do what you want in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont, whatever you really want in New England. And then we also have a sponsorship program that we're revamping for this coming year. So if you know a company or maybe person who might want to sponsor our event, like get in touch with our event manager, Megan. And we're on Instagram, so you can also, I'm the one that runs the Instagram, so if you message us, it's yeah. going to be me. <laughs> yeah. but do, yeah. you know, do you know, and you may not pay attention to this detail because you're yeah. focused on like raising the funds, but has there been any big breakthroughs in, in Alzheimer's research recently? So I believe we had two FDA approvals this okay. year um, of two drugs. One, it, most recent I think was Lakembi, mm -hmm. and um, I think that's the first one to show um, some reduction in the symptoms. So it's a step forward. We have a hope for a cure coming but we're in the era of treatment, which is a whole new thing, yeah. and it's great. Yeah, and so, it's difficult. Yeah. And I know, like, our audience probably skews, like, I'm in early 50s, so there's a lot of us that have parents that are sort of struggling yeah. with, with dementia and these issues, so it's always mm -hmm. top of mind oh, for, for sure. people. So what you're doing is so important. So we'll yeah. continue to partner, and we'll look forward to everybody getting out there and making the mountains purple next year. Yeah, no, we appreciate all your support. I know you guys had a team this year, and, you know, we just love... Like you said, painting the mountains purple, getting the word out. Let's hope 2024 is going to be an even better year. Yeah. We're going to have a great year. Yeah. Awesome. Keep awesome. up the good work. Thank you. All right. So, um, Stomp, I didn't, I didn't put this on the script, but um, this is like a tradition at this point, is that we've got our friend Daryl here from EMS. Oh, sure. Right? Absolutely. He, we cannot do a show without having him come up and talk a little bit. Uh, yep. Absolutely. So, come on up there. Well, yes. Welcome. So why don't you remind the listeners, who are you and what do you do at Eastern Mountain Sports? Uh, my name's Daryl. I'm kind of like an all-purpose traveling manager. You might find me in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You might find me in Lake Placid, Burlington, Vermont. I'm pretty much everywhere. Yeah, and you guys have been so supportive of the hiking community and, and various fundraisers and search and rescue. So um, can you talk, is there anything new going on at Eastern Mountain Sports right now? There's actually a lot going on right now. We just started a, a whole new ad campaign. You know, we're really trying to get the word out there that Eastern Mountain Sports is back. Not that we've really gone anywhere, but a lot of people might think that we have. Uh, that we're opening up new stores, uh, our flagship store in Burlington, Vermont, just celebrated its one-year anniversary, I believe, next week will be its one-year anniversary. We're opening up probably four to eight stores in the oh, next wow. year or so. That's the plan. You know, so lots of really good things uh, coming down the pipe uh, at Eastern Mountain Sports. Okay, because you guys were kind of flat for store openings for a while, but now you're picking up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's no secret that we closed a lot of stores yeah. a few years ago, uh, but we've got some new ownership in here that seems to be really, really supportive of the Eastern Mountain Way and putting money behind the company and really focusing on the, the hiking and the things that we do at Eastern Mountain Sports that set us apart from maybe some of our competitors. Okay, and then you guys are still focused on EMS brand clothes for winter hiking? Yeah, while we have a full selection of national product from yeah. outdoor research to uh, Marmot to uh, Mountain Hardware, uh, we have a really great selection of Eastern Mountain Sports products, uh, including the pants I'm wearing right now, our Emperor Softshell, which are one of my favorite hiking pants and with the pinnacle. You know, excellent, excellent pants. Awesome. And what about yourself? You've been getting out hiking anywhere? You've been doing like stuff out in New York or New Hampshire? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been in the, uh, the work hard mode right now. I'm kind of building up the, uh, the play hard yeah. right now, uh, but I'm hoping to uh, get out, uh, do some more of my winter four, uh, 4,000s, hopefully get over to the Adirondacks, hit a couple more of my winter 46, you know, and then probably build up some uh, 52 of the views, you know, for littler days. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We're always appreciative of Eastern Mountain Sports. You guys have been huge supporters of us, so 
Thank you so much. No, no, you're welcome. We love everything you guys do and everything we can do to help you guys out in the future. We'll make sure we can happen. Yeah, and can you tell us who's your favorite slasher um, host? Is it Mike or Stop? <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, at this point, it's Fluky, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, that's <laughs> yeah. a safe answer. Good call. Safe answer there. So, and what are you drinking tonight? Are you drinking the full conditions? Uh, yes, I am. You are? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're an IPA guy? Uh, I'm not really a beer guy too no. much, but uh, you know the, the new stuff is always good. So uh, if you haven't tried the full conditions, uh, check it out. Awesome, awesome. And then, do you have a favorite hiking influencer? Ooh, I mean, I guess the easy answer is Eric Todd Sweet, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Floki. <laughs> so, all right, well, Eric will be happy to know that you're, he has a fan. <laughs> no so, problem. Awesome. You Thanks, guys have Eric. a good one. All, all right, right bye. Yeah, yeah. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Welcome, Wayne, from Warden's Watch. Thank you very much. Is it on? Yeah, it should be. I'm on? All right. He's live. Now I'm on. (laughs) All right. Now we're back. Is this your first live podcast? (laughs) No. No? No. Oh, you've done. Have you done a live podcast for yes. your own show? Yes. Okay. So, how do you think we're doing so far? Then you're an expert. So far, so good. Really? Yeah. I'm a little nervous. You should be. I know. You know? You're intimidating. I got law enforcement here. That's right. Yeah. So. Former. Actually, I'm I still only, I still hold all my credentials. I'm only drinking one beer and driving. Okay. So I'll be good. You can to have go. two. I can. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can. My blood okay. alcohol is okay. off the charts. So. <laughs> anyway, but why don't you uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. So I'm Wayne Saunders. I'm a uh, Former game warden, so did 23 years with the New Hampshire Fishing Game. I finished off as a lieutenant in the northern part of the state in Coas County, which encompasses our favorite mountain, Mount Washington, Mount Adams, and all, all those northern presidentials. So search and rescue was uh, a lot of what I did in the northern part of New Hampshire as a lieutenant, as a sergeant, as an officer. So I started from the ground up, from carryouts to managing, and... Uh, yeah, finished up, and probably search and rescue is the reason I retired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Now, so you've been retired for what, like five or six years now? Five years. Five years. Yeah. And then what motivated you to start a podcast? Because I felt like I jumped off a cliff that I didn't know where I was going to land. So, And they say, do something you love, and I did something I loved. I was a game warden for 23 years, and I'm like, how can I incorporate that back into something else? And I just listened to a Mediator podcast for the first time, and boom, I was like, I'm going to try to podcast. And uh, the Northwoods Law series was going on right then, and uh, those guys are great. They helped with the podcast. They promoted it, and boom, it took off pretty well. Did you talk to anybody that was in, like, I've always been nervous about approaching like, um, law enforcement around coming on the show because, and I have some buddies that are in the FBI and other areas, and I get the sense that they don't like necessarily to show how the bread is baked. So did you have any, Absolutely. like, concerns about that? Like, you know, if you go out and do a podcast, some of your law, active law enforcement folks are, are going to kind of be like, hey, you know, let's not give too much info on how we do things. Yeah, 100%. As a matter of fact, it's funny because people that wanted you know, some of the guests that I have on yeah. my podcast couldn't get them on. They wouldn't talk to them. But I think they're more comfortable talking to former law enforcement. That, that helps. But 
That being said, uh, my latest podcast is an undercover game warden out of uh, Maine. Mm -hmm. So, and he kind of, you know, tells you how it is and the, some of the stuff that he did. So, I mean, it is kind of letting how the bread is baked, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, and that was one of the things like we thought about like when we go when we were like putting our guest list together. We sort of like didn't even th we, we were kind of like and we're not even going to be able to get law enforcement on because we're not in that world. And then when I started, I discovered your podcast I was like oh this is perfect because he's got the relationships and you've got the trust already built up and you kind of know 100 what to cover and that and has helped so much getting yeah. my guests on yeah uh, and then through it all I mean now every game warden I think in the United States knows about the warden's watch podcast yeah. it's, it's it's amazing when you walk into a conference and I introduce myself and there's a group of them and saying oh we know who you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so but overall they've they've felt that you've you've sort of balanced out between education and also keeping like yeah, some I, I areas think so. that they don't need to know. It's been kind of funny seeing the older generation. So I was in South Carolina for an event and uh, one of the captains down there said, Wayne, you got to tell me what this podcast is because all our new recruits are 16 over there. They think you're a rock star. And I have no idea why. So what, what is this podcast? So I went over and talked to all the young people that actually listen to podcasts. And yeah, they listen. And they, that's inspiring to them and why they became a game warden. And that's exactly what I wanted out of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think the long-form interview is like, it's very attractive to people because it's, you know... The two-minute, three-minute news news stories are just, you can't dig into things in a lot of detail, and I think a lot of what you talk about needs a lot of context and a lot of detail. For sure. Um, but just getting into, just going back to your time when you were a conservation officer, can you talk a little bit about what um, a typical day would be for you? And I would assume that a lot of this ties to, like, seasonally, depending on what season you're in, you, you would prepare differently, but around this time of the year, could you talk about, like, what would be a common activity for you as a, as a conservation conservation officer well it's the fall it's hunting season hunting so season. Uh, we're just kind of getting on the tail end of search and rescue for sure and hopefully because you know people going out hiking right now are in trouble already so generally speaking so if I'm getting a call after dark right now yeah it's, it's that sucks yeah. but um, but yeah so we're, we're trying to balance it between hunting season and doing catching poachers and you know doing search and rescue emissions so yeah. that's that's a big balance area so could you, did you get to the point towards the end of your career where you, you could sort of smell like, okay, there's a search and rescue coming, like it's, it's a Saturday afternoon, it's going to rain this afternoon, but it was nice in the, the morning, and that's gonna, that means there's going to be a rescue call, or was it just random? No, I, I, you're right. If it's raining, it's slippery, that's, that, that heightens the search and rescue aspect of it, for sure. Did you have the luxury of picking and choosing what you like? Was there some some COs that would specialize and say, "I'm like the the poacher hunter versus I'm the guy that goes out for a search and rescue"? Or did you have to do everything? You have to do everything. The closer you are, the more you do. Okay. Uh, closer to the whites, you're going to do more search and rescue. The further away, you know, the guy in Pittsburgh. You know, if we called him down, it, it was pretty serious. Mm -hmm. But he he still planned on calling down. So. Yeah. What is yeah. your thoughts? How have things changed when it comes to um, hiker education and, and the the volume of search and rescue since you started? Uh, have you seen hikers become more educated, more aware? Like, has the internet been a good thing or a bad thing? One would think it'd be good, but it's yeah. kind of depressing to see the amount. I don't think it's slowing down. Yeah. It's... Uh, 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't, you know, as much as we're doing, we should be having an impact, right? I mean, we're, we're getting the word out there, but are they not listening? Are they not Googling things? Are they not? It, it just seems like the volume is steadily staying the same and, and maybe a slight increase. Well, I think there's the one piece of good news is that I actually, one of the ways that we started this podcast is that I, I would keep track of all the media reported events. 100%. And so I, the volume, like you said, has stayed steady. Yes. But some of the, um, the Forest Service um, surveys that they've been doing have shown that the volume of hikers has almost doubled over the last like 15, 20 years. So if it stayed flat, that means there's more people out there hiking and less people percentage-wise. You know the big thing that sucked with search and rescue was cell phones. Cell phones, yeah. Cell phones. Yeah. Because that's that's when they could report it. Yeah. So before they got themselves out of the woods because they couldn't call anybody. True. True. Now now they, I mean, literally I had a guy call who wanted a helicopter over a broken thumb. I thought it was a joke. And it wasn't a joke. I'm like, yeah, sir, we don't call helicopters hardly at all, and not for a broken thumb. But yeah, he was from yeah. Texas, and he just thought, yeah, I, I broke my thumb, man, and you can send a helicopter. And I was like, yeah, that's funny. He's like, no, I really need a helicopter. I'm like, for a broken thumb? <laughs> that is like, I do see like a lot of the rescues are for people that are outside of New England. So you got people mm. from Florida, Texas. Massachusetts. They, yeah, yeah, Massachusetts, that's right. <laughs> Oh, true, true. Uh, if, we, we should really get Ty up here because I, I don't see him very often. And yeah. our, our, our mutual. Yeah, come on up, Ty. The way yeah, I met Ty was kind combo. of uh, unique. So get up here, Ty. Yeah, yeah, we got an extra mic here. Yeah, so. I, um, and I hate to do that, but. The, the, no, this, this is great. Guy, um, I thought he was a suspect when I first met him, actually. <laughs> yeah, like, how did you. So, Ty, that was the one I think we've talked about this before, but like breaking into breaking the blue wall basically to get these guys mm. to like say, all right, like he's not a clown, I'm going to talk to him. How does that? How does that go? He on? had a tough time breaking the wall. Yeah, with this yeah. one for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I I met Wayne through Mark Ober, who I'd known. He's a CO. Uh, he's a lieutenant with. It, he took over through your patrol, thought. right? Yep. Um, and I was researching where you'll find me, and Mark said, hey, I think. Let's meet with Wayne. Wayne was the search manager for day two of that search. Mm. And we met for lunch in Lancaster, Mark, myself, and Wayne, who I knew. Um, I knew of Wayne quite well, but hadn't yeah. met. This was like his third request to meet with me. Yeah. So, but if anybody knows me, Mark probably said, hey, buy him lunch and uh, you'll be good yeah, to go. Yeah, and that's, and <laughs> yeah, so it was an awkward lunch. And I, I knew the minute I sat down, I was being measured up and it's like, the, what, what is this guy about? And, yeah, I was and, like, why? Why? You know, I kept asking that why. And, you know, he's like, well, I want to do risk management and the risks and that and, you know, putting it all together. And I was like, okay, I still was very on the, the verge of everything, but I, I, I gave Ty everything he needed. And, you know, after watching, I think I've been to like four of your, your the seminars where you speak and every time is riveting to me and I loved it. And I was like, you know, what, what a great presentation. One of those things, like you said, uh, uh, an outreach for search and rescue, uh, a way to connect to people on all levels. And Ty was doing that. So I, I really appreciate it. But that was very suspicious. You know, Kate, the Kate Mastrosova was a very interesting thing to me because we, we do search and rescues all the time. And that one, I didn't realize how big it was going to be until I got to my office. And, you know, there was a bunch of uh, notices there to call press, which is normal. But every time I got done one, my secretary would bring in another stack. And I'd work through, and she'd bring in another stack. And there was an, and they got like a stack of, th I'm like, okay, 
I Googled Kate Matrasova then and said, what is going on here? Because I'd never had anything to that degree. Um, yes, it was, you know, extraordinary the, the, the way she perished, but, you know, it was her connection to New York City as well and, and all those people connecting it. And type A personalities, because Ty hits those type of people. And type A personalities are the people I have a hard time with. And I'm a type A personality. So... <laughs> But when you decide to go hiking on, I'm going to hike Mount Washington today, and this is in my schedule, and guess what? I don't care if it's snowing. I don't care if it's raining. I can do this because I do everything, and I, am a, and I achieve my goals, and that's what I'm going to achieve today. And then, you know, about three-quarters of the way up, you should make the decision and go, hey, maybe I should turn around. But no, no, I never quit. I never give up. And that's the unique thing. When we did a podcast about the Cape Metrosova, we talk about giving up, and we talk about being human in the brink of where we can push ourselves because we can push ourselves too far. Yeah, and I think the, the challenge, too, and we've talked about this before, is the knowledge of the local terrain will help you sort of get that voice inside your head to know when it's time to turn around. And if you don't have that knowledge of the local terrain, then a lot of times you can rely on your past experience in larger mountains or you know you just don't realize what the reality is in in this particular location in the whites and i think that's what happened here is that she had built up a level of confidence in larger mountains or other areas and she just didn't have the intimate knowledge of that particular area and that that's i, I think challenge. you're right because when i talk to people that hike the west they're always like oh they're only six thousand footers i said so when don't your trees grow like, what level? You know, they're like, oh, nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet. I'm like, and do you know what happens in the whites? When do they stop growing? I said, it's the same reason those trees stop growing is the, what, what's holding them down and the weather. So yours may stop growing at 10,000 feet. Ours stop growing at 4,000 feet. Guess what that means? Heads up. You know, we have very similar weather that you do at, at a lower altitude. When, when you would get these calls, you know, it's Sunday night, you won't just want to watch the football game. and You get a call and you've got to go out there and, and pick somebody off a mountain. How do you process that without just getting so angry? And Like, how do you keep yourself level? It's just part of the job. Just part and, of the and job. And you know what? You, that's what you signed on for. So you don't get angry because it happens. And I guarantee if you plan something, there's going to be a search and rescue mission. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And my, and my wife's used to it. She was very good. You know, just go. But, you know, in the end, after 23 years of it and getting five calls maybe a night or maybe 30 calls a night, mm -hmm. she said to me, she's like, you know what? When the phone rings, we all wake up in the house. You know, maybe it's time to hang it up. <laughs> and I was like, I, I think that was a shot across the bow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a hint. That's a hint. Can you talk about how things have changed from the, the relationship with the volunteer search and rescue organizations? I feel like those organizations have probably grown a bit over the years, but has it changed significantly from when you started to where it is now? They, they've grown. The PEMI has been an awesome addition. Thank God for the PEMI, um, for sure. Yes. Do you think that this volunteer model is the, the right model for New Hampshire? For New Hampshire, I don't think it'll work anywhere else. Okay. You know, and thank God for the volunteers. Those people are priceless. Uh, we couldn't do it without them. If all the volunteers stayed home, guess what? We, we wouldn't be doing search and rescue because we couldn't physically do it. So a lot of the search and rescues, they just did that, you know, Huntington Ravine. And every time I hear Huntington Ravine, my skin starts to crawl. Because I've been there on rescues, I know what it is, and I've managed rescues on that, and I know what it is. As a matter of fact, those signs that are up there, 
I worked with the Forest Service relentlessly to get those signs up there to tell them this is probably the most dangerous hike in the White Mountains. And if you are not prepared and you are, don't understand what you're getting to, turn around and on the top and the bottom. I, I worked extremely hard to get those. Because of all the search and rescues, we started accumulating that. And I'll tell you, every time Huntington Ravine, my, I, I can feel it. It's just that it's because it's, it's the most extreme rescue you are going to experience in the whites. Yeah, when, when Stomp and I talked about that rescue, like, I, and I know that terrain really well. I've been up there multiple times, and I just think even, even the head wall is probably not the worst part. It's just getting people down below those rocks that are in mm. the bottom of the, the ravine. The and then even field. beyond... The uh, the little rescue cache there to get to the the bottom of that trail is a nightmare. Yeah. You've got you've got water crossings. You've got tight trails. You've got steep drops. Uh, that, and you hand a litter hand over hand oh, though, for brutal. a mile plus. So seven hours, seven hours for twenty people. I always wanted thirty people on that rescue, and uh, I know last time they couldn't get thirty people. So as, as an officer, I did that. I actually watched it snow in July. It was nutty. We were on a, on a search and rescue up there, and it was cold. It was miserable. And I'm like, it feels cold enough to snow. And it started to snow for about five minutes. I was like, snowing in July. I've seen it all now. And yeah, we were soaking wet to the bone. And I remember we just cleared the boulder field, and here came about 15 fresh bodies. And I think we were all like so excited to see fresh people to, to help out with the carryout. Because we were exhausted, we've been doing it like seven hours, hand over hand, in a downpour rain, in a snow, where I brought extra layers and I handed it out to everybody because it's July. No one carries, you know, your, your, your extras in July. So I had like two extras and I'm handing them out. Yeah, that's it's crazy, and uh, mm. yeah, I think when I do, when I leave Massachusetts and go to New Hampshire, if I can get on the volunteer cruise, I will. But I probably will like it's a quick an, ride. I'll have an event. Yeah, you get right on ninety three and step true. on it. You that's know, true. drive like you're from that's Massachusetts. True. But I, I'm yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit about having to read people. So you 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 played that out with Ty. Um, when it comes to like hunters, I might have been wrong with Ty though. Yeah, well, he seems like a true. decent guy. Yeah, that's long, did you see the did you see the pro tip with the cord? This is a professional right oh, now. Oh yeah, I, I'm a rookie. <laughs> is it through the pinky? Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's nice work. But uh, so, he's got it. Look at that. That's good. Cool. That's but cool. I'm curious, having to read people. So right now it's hunting season. So I, I watch mm. Northwoods Law and I see these these conservation officers and they'll have these conversations with the hunters and the hunters know that they're up to no good. The COs know that they're up to no good. But they have this back and forth dance that they play where it's like, all right, when are we finally going to get this guy to admit that they're lying? So can you talk a little bit about like how do you play the mind game with these poachers? A absolutely. And, and yeah. the more maturity you get as an officer, the, the, the better off it is. Yeah. Um, because in, in the beginning, you play cat and mouse a lot. You know, mm -hmm. you do this and that, and it, it, it's movement. When you get to be, you know, 20 years in, I, 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 you know, I get right in the guy's face and I say, I'm taking your truck. And I'm going to try to take your house because you used the spotlight from your house to shoot that deer on a pile of corn. I've never taken a house before, but I'm going to try because the law says I can take anything that is used to it. And believe me, I, I, I was really serious. I was going to try to take the guy's house. And he knew I was taking the truck then. It was like a brand new decked out Chevy. And that was my truck that night. And all of a sudden he realized I was dead serious. And then he, the truth comes out. Okay, I did shoot it and I, I shot it under here. But it, it, I will tell him, I didn't tell him this, I'll tell you guys this. So when you seize a truck, it sounds like a great thing, and I did this as a, a young warden too. Seizing trucks makes you feel really cool. Um, <laughs> but guess what, GMC usually owns it, so you gotta give it back. 
<laughs> which really sucks. But you don't have to give it back right away. You can make their life miserable. So, you know, it's, it's about a month they can get their truck back. But What about, the other question I'm curious about is what about um, backcountry vehicles? So I feel like when you probably started dirt bikes and, and those types of vehicles were the primary issue. But over the last 10, 15 years, like these side-by-side vehicles have given access to the backcountry to a lot of tourists that will rent these things. And there's a lot of locals that will be hauling around the, the, the backcountry. I'm assuming that from the time you started to the time you left, the dynamic around backcountry vehicles changed significantly as far as the level of enforcement. Oh, 100%. That, between search and rescue in a white HRV off-highway recreational vehicle, that became our job, really. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got into the, the business to stop poaching, to preserve wildlife, um, and to stop the illegal activity. So it, it kind of changed. So being a North Country warden is all about OHRVs and search and rescue, and a little bit of hunting and a little bit of fishing. So it is definitely the dynamics have changed. You know, we have legal riding. We have a lot of rentals. We have a lot of accidents. It's almost like 10 o'clock on a Saturday. You can guarantee you're going to have an accident with OHRV. And by 2 o'clock, you're going to probably have a search and rescue going. And it's, 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 it's a busy time of year. And we lack game wardens in the North Country. We really do um, for that. And it's me and Glenn Lucas. We were only two on that weekend. We had two search and rescues and an OHRV accident all at the same time for two guys. I said, I'll start handling the two search and rescues. You go to the ATV accidents when you clear. You come get me. So, and then, so I cleared one search and rescue because it wasn't that bad. And then we both ended up, after he finished up that, we both ended up on the search and rescue. But it's because of the volunteers I can do that. I can call out, you know, Andrew Scoggin Valley search and rescue team and start these processes. If I was relying on officers, yeah, we would have held off on that search and rescue mission, which, you know, people can die on that. And that's, that was always my concern. I had a rule, um, my Sergeant Mark Ober that Ty mentioned, uh, don't call me until the morning because I don't sleep at night if you call me and tell me what's going on. And Kate Matrasova was an exception. When he called me at 11 o'clock that night, I'm like, what are you doing calling me? You know, I'm not on until tomorrow. Don't call me. I'm not going to, you know. But he's like, oh, this is really bad, and we're going to have to do this. And I know, you know, so all night long, my head's thinking of what I have to do. And I'm rolling out there at 3 in the morning because I can't sleep, so I might as well go out there and start the process and start getting things going, so... Yeah, do you think there'll come a time when uh, the, the, the Forest Service decides to specialize and say, like, we're just going to start a group that focuses on managing the, the backcountry vehicles, or is it just like the funding's not there at this point? Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I love the guys that work for the Forest Service, but it's very rare we see them on search and rescue missions. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think they got their game warden law enforcement. I think that's yeah. what they're going to rely on because funding isn't there. So, so it's always, they're always going to be Swiss Army knives, basically. Exactly. I, I, I don't see it. I'd, I'd love that. I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're talking about right now, you know, in uh, Tuckerman's, uh, they're, they're not going to be managing that until the end of May. They want to give it back to New Hampshire Fish and Game to manage all the search and rescues and not have that. So that's going to be devastating for us because we don't have the manpower to do all those uh, rescues during that time frame, the broken legs, the this and that. If they they give that back to us, because I don't know if a lot of you understand that the Cutler drainage is Forest Service until May 1st, and then Fish and Game takes it over. So they are responsible for the search and rescues that go on Tuckerman's 
till May 1st, and then it switches over to us. Well, there's a lot of activity, as you guys know, skiing up there, lots of broken legs. Um, and then that will become our responsibility, and I, I don't think we can handle the volume. If you, so just thinking about advice for young people, so we do get some young people that listen to the show. That's good. If they, yeah, occasionally, I think. Um, <laughs> what's the reality about a career in, as a conservation officer? Like, if you were going to give people advice around, like, the, the personality types that would be successful as a, as a conservation officer in the reality of the job as far as the financials, the time commitment, and, and um, just you know, the lifestyle. A podcast host is a great start. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. It doesn't pay that <laughs> and, well. And, and we, don't have, we don't have an age limit, Mike, yes. either. So. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a great opportunity to, uh, to, to do work outdoors. I can't imagine being in office. Even when I was a lieutenant, you know, I was kind of my own boss, so I'd work half a day in the office, and then I'd go do whatever I wanted to or what activity was going on if I wasn't called from there. But for a young person getting into it that wants to be in the outdoors, it's, it's awesome. You kind of have to be that type A personality. You have to be able to design your day, because if you're not designated to what you're going to do, you have to kind of facilitate what you're going to do and make up your own plans. So what that day looks like. You have your responsibilities of stocking fish, maybe it's turkey season, you're gonna go out and patrol turkeys, and you gotta manage your day every day. So if you're not that type of person that's a self-starter, it's probably not a good fit for you. If you need someone to tell you to do something all the way, then you should go somewhere where they have to tell you everything. So maybe that's the park service or the forest service, but we're very independent. So if you're an independent person, that loves the outdoors. I think it's a great career. What besides Kate? I know you've talked about this, but what um, search and rescues that you've been involved with stand out the most for you? Oh wow! I knew you were going to ask this question, right. so I actually, uh, so I actually looked at it this morning because the one I don't know if anybody's religious or not, but Peter Shintani was a very religious man, and he got lost in the fog on Mount Washington. And we recovered him in July. It was a June thing. But when we recovered his body, there was a double rainbow. And it was, it was just the weirdest feeling in the world as they recovered his body. And I knew there was a church group that came down to look for him. And then the double rainbow comes out. And there's, a, there's an epic picture of the carryout with these double rainbows behind him. And it was almost surreal. And I was like, this is just, it was still on the mountain. I was all by myself. And I'm like, this is just one of those times that you, you can't believe it's happening. And I, I just, you know, the whole God thing comes up and I'm just like, you know, being so religious and then this double rainbow appears as the search and rescue's happening. And that's the, one of the most memorable search and rescues I've ever had. Um, he was lost for like two weeks before we recovered him. Uh, but it was, uh, it, it, it was something that's always been impressed on me because it was just, it was, a, it was an incredible, cool thing that happened and the fact that he was very religious just kind of bled into that so to speak it was uh yeah it was one of those things that you just can't unless you were there you can't experience it and i think for everybody that was on that search and rescue and avstar was there there was officers there from all around the state and i think we were all in awe of just uh that off that moment it was just incredible do you um 
because of the your your work history and background, do you find that you are ever motivated to like get out and hike, or are you pretty much like <laughs> done? Because I and the reason I ask is because I got a buddy of mine who's an army ranger, and I always try to get him out hiking. Yeah, and he's always like, I'm done. I spent you know ten years trepping, tra- traipsing through the woods. Do you sort of feel the same way? I do. I All try. these law enforcement guys are the I same. I try. Right? <laughs> I believe me. I usually do one hike a year, and okay. yeah, I didn't do it this year, but it's uh, yeah, I try. It's like work. It's like my wife loves the snowmobile. I hate the snowmobile because that's what I did. I lived on a snowmobile in the winter, yeah. and as we drive around our area, I think, oh, I covered a fatal there. I had an accident yeah. there. And, yeah, but she loves to, so I get on that snowmobile, and we ride around, and that's what's in my head. But, yeah, it, it's, right. it's, it takes, takes kind of the fun out of it. Yeah, I So bet. I, I still bet. like, you know, it's funny. When you hunt in the North Country, there's no deer. So I look at, like, little notches that I know are funnels and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I've never been there. So I'll, I'll hike there. And, and still hunt all the way there. So that's kind of my hiking because okay. it's different than what I did working. Do you, are you a boating guy? Like, what do you do? That I have a pontoon boat. I haven't been on it in two years because my son does everything else. What so. do you just do podcast all day long? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no, no. It, it's uh, so I'm the executive director for International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. That mm-hmm. keeps me pretty busy. The okay. podcast. I work at the White Mountains Community College. I'm their conservation law coordinator, and I'm an adjunct professor there as well. My do- my son shows dogs, so we travel all around showing German short hair pointers, German wire hair pointers. Um, it, it's been busy. It, it's a busy life retirement. You know, you hear like people say that, and I'm like, yeah, that's funny. That's the retired. You don't, you're not busy. And then I get on this, and I'm like, holy moly, I'm busy. Wow, you're doing it right. So, um, for the listeners, how can they find your podcast? Uh, everywhere there's podcast. You know, just like you guys. Uh, you know, Apple Podcasts are great. Spotify's great. So, WardensWatch.com. We have the the Kate Matrasova case that I brought Ty in on, and that was kind of it was my first one of blending speaker so Ty starts it off it's really cool about the book and about our you know getting to know each other and then we bring in the officers that actually were there and they open up about that that search and rescue and to be honest with you we're not the, you know the top end so MRS is the top end when we bring those guys in and we, we the, they, they are the guys that do a lot of the really technical stuff so so the MRS crew went up to Treeline that night, and our guys, two of them went up, one stayed back, and he talks about that. And then we talk about the next day, and uh, yeah, the whole goes right through to one of the guys that recovered it. So, and then we end with Ty, too, in, in the book. So I, I think that was, it's, it's one of my favorites because it, it was very, yeah, life-affecting, I think, for all of us. It's how I got to met, meet Ty, and uh, it's been... You know, uh, I think Kate Matrasova, life had meaning because of you, Ty. I think, you, you, you know, and I hate to say that in her death, but it, 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 it brings it to it. And hopefully we can educate everybody uh, about this. And I'd like to think we reach out people via podcasts. Um, certainly that's a venue uh, for doing that. And, and everything we can do to educate the public. I love the hike buddies thing. That, that's awesome. You know, I mean, people need to educate themselves before they take that chance and go out the whites. And even if you're a type A personality that doesn't need any of those people, um, we can educate ourselves and do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Wayne. We appreciate you coming here. Oh, thank and, you. Um, and I love what you guys knowledge. are doing. Awesome. Well, I have a couple out. questions. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Stone. Where are the speed traps for snowmobiles? <laughs> if. 
Oh, I got an answer. Okay. If there's a straightaway, it's a speed trap. I know exactly yeah. where they are. And you know what? Everybody says, why don't you work the guys on the corner? They're always on the wrong side of the trail. Mike, hey, the same guys are on the wrong side of the trail in the corner are going fast on the straightaways, okay? And then it, my last question. Um, so what do you what, ride a skidoo? From what state what would state? you do you think takes their car and drives onto snowmobile trails in the winter the most? Or does Google, <laughs> does Google tell them to do it? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yes, I've, I've had We've several of those. We've talked about that a little bit. Google tells them to do it, but um, there's been several. Rhode Island has been there. <laughs> Massachusetts has been there. Um, yeah, yeah, right at the base road. That's a, that's a classic spot oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for trying to go over Jefferson Notch in the winter exactly, and, and getting yeah. labored right there. And they're like, oh, Google told me I could go that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how about the no vehicle signs at the end there? That, that told you not to go. So, yeah. That's yeah. funny. Thanks Thank for you. bringing snowmobile in into that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tis the season. Yeah. Because so if you're not search and rescue on the mountains, you're search and rescue on the snowmobiles. And some of the most horrific things I've seen are in snowmobiles because of the high impact, you know, oh, accidents yeah. you see. So, you know, yeah. you see legs sticking out. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, nasty. it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Do you want to stick around while we grill Thai? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. That, maybe I can help. Yeah, you can, you can definitely help. Jump in with some yeah, questions. Go. So, so, Ty, welcome back. Thank you. Good uh, to be here. What have you been up to lately? Uh, work, family, little writing. Boring. Yeah, sorry. Oh, boy. Wow. Well, with the, with the writing, do you have anything? Uh, so you've been working on something, or are you taking a pause at this point? Yeah, uh, so I'm working on a, I am in a pause, but I am working on a, Another story out of the White Mountains. It's uh, focused on Mount Washington, Huntington Ravine, in winter, um, and it's a it's an older story, uh, and it involves the only time in our state's history when a rescuer perished during a rescue. Albert Dow, who was with another teammate, uh, searching the Lionhead area when they were swept in an avalanche, um, and so that should be coming out in 2024. Oh wow, we'll be excited to hear that. So I've been thinking a lot about this, and Wayne touched on this a little bit or we touched on this a little bit with Wayne but like the that sort of inner sense of being able to know when you when it's time to turn around like I actually had that on Adams a couple of weeks ago it was just I wasn't feeling it we, we took a little bit of a risk going down a trail and then we were going to go back up and we decided to just turn it around but I think the only reason I would have known to do that is I've been on those trails before I knew what the conditions were up above tree line so I was able to just say like look this isn't the day but I think an inexperienced person that hadn't been in that terrain wouldn't know what can we is there anything we can do to limit that as from an education perspective or is it just the reality that inexperienced people are going to get themselves in trouble yeah I, I people I get a lot of questions around hey do you think we should just shut the mountains down or make it more restrictive for people to access them which I don't I don't believe in that um, and what I try to remind people is if you go back to what I think is the foundational book about accidents in the in the White Mountains and that's not without peril uh, he, you know Nicholas Howe is writing about 150 years worth of peril in the White Mountains um, and I think is it it's going to continue happening I don't think it's something that can be eliminated uh, because as when as long as we have human beings going into complex unpredictable environments whether it's in the mountains or sometimes the workplace or whatever it might be there's going to be trouble um, and I, I do believe the mountain should be accessible. I think personal responsibility is 
a really important part of that. But there's so much going on now with Hiking Buddies, uh, with this podcast, Wayne hits on search and rescue quite often. Um, I, I think there's a lot going on that wasn't going on before. And I think the more um, avenues that we can get information out there, the better. Yeah, and I think the Trailhead Steward program as well. It's outstanding. Like they've got they've got the six spots that are the hot spots covered, yep. which is huge because I mean I've collected that data and I've seen where the events are happening and they, they're positioned at all of those right right areas there. The only thing I guess you could do maybe a little bit differently is if you and again it's a staffing issue, but like you know you plop somebody in the middle of Franconia Ridge on a Friday Saturday afternoon, maybe that that might impact a few rescues. But I feel like. It we're pretty optimized at this point. I don't know if you have any other perspective on that. I, I think you just said it, though. You know, you, you're, you're kind of a type A personality. You're a podcast host. So mm -hmm. sharing, sharing that, sharing that, that you turned around, that it wasn't the day, that's what we got to get through to these type A personalities that always achieve their goals is, hey, I can die. I can die. And maybe it's not the day. And I think putting that... You know, you just ex sharing that experience, Ty sharing his experience. I think educated people listen to that, and they actually learn um, that maybe this isn't the day, because it's in my calendar, but you know what, the weather came in, and yeah, it isn't my day. And you sharing that is, is really important, because um, you certainly try to control this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, so. <laughs> Mrs. Mike, do you hear that? Type A. No, 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 he's type double A. Well... <laughs> She, she disagrees. She's going to be laughing at me. But um, So t uh, one question I had for you, and you don't have to get into a lot of detail, but like your interaction with Hollywood, what do you think of uh, in Infinite Storm and, and, and the movie? You've had about a year or two since it's come out. Like, what, what are your thoughts? I had no interaction Nothing with Hollywood really. It's for just that. like it's basically just yeah, you know, they I, licensed it. I'm, I'm really glad that Pam's story was uh, got to a larger audience. Yeah. I always felt that, that that was more of a mental health story than yep. a hiking rescue. Um, I think that maybe that got lost a little bit in the mix, but um, I just keep going back to the, the selflessness of her and the fact that John, I think, frankly, represents all of us uh, because I think we're all susceptible to that um, you know that situation in our lives yeah yeah and i think about that a lot with young people and the you know the the attachment that, that we have to these little glass squares here and i do think that one of the benefits of hiking and outdoor activity especially for young people is to get them away from from all the doom that's that's available in these things here so um the more you can highlight outdoor activity and hiking and and mental health awareness the better yeah so uh, what about the writing process that you're going through right now? Is it a lot of research, or is it pretty much done? Yeah, so that, that story I spoke of earlier, it's 40 years old. Um, so the research is a lot more intensive than, than the other stories I've told because, um, again, it, it was so long ago and at a time when there wasn't the Internet or anything like that. But I think, um, fortunately... For many reasons, many of the people who were involved in that tragedy um, are still with us. And um, there are rescuers from that incident in 1982 who actually are, are in all three books. And, I, and then the reason I bring that up is because we have volunteer rescuers who have been doing this for four plus decades, which I think speaks to what Wayne said about the fact that 
it is so unique for New Hampshire and something I think we can be really proud of and thankful for. Yeah, I'm curious about that early 1980s period because um, we, one, of the, one of the cases that we've highlighted on the show was the case of Michael Miller who's been missing on Franconia Ridge since I think 1983. So there were really two bit, the, the, the rescue you're talking about and then I think Michael Miller's rescue was about a seven day effort um, and they ended up taking uh, like volunteer, they didn't have the volunteer search and rescue teams but I think around that time period was where they started to realize that like these big rescues can happen and that we may need more firepower. Did you do any research in the sort of the, the evolution of how search and rescue happened around the, the early 80s? Yeah, and I think one of the reasons I was drawn to this for many reasons, but this was the watershed moment. I think Wayne can talk about this more than I can because I think as a search manager, Albert's loss factors into a lot of the decision making that happens because it's it's all about not putting the rescuers at risk mm -hmm. and creating a second incident. Uh, but that was really the watershed moment for search and rescue. And what you see today is due in large part um, to what happened 40 years ago. And so to kind of connect the dots back from the Kate Matrasova book to James and the rescue of um, James Osborne on Franconia Ridge, to that, you're going to kind of get a sense of how all that what happened in '82 um, has had a real impact on how effective search and rescue is today. Wow, I can't wait to read the book next year. You said, yeah, um, yeah. I'm in a bit of a pause, which I mean we can talk about, but uh, it will be out in 24 for sure. Are we going to talk about your pause? Yeah, my pause. <laughs> So do you, have, do you have a trip to Disney World or something planned? I'm going to, yeah. You're not yeah. going to bring out a cat or anything in the yeah. pause. I'm okay. going to do the cord. So, okay. um, yeah, I've, so I've been writing for, uh, the research took some time, uh, was writing for close to a year. My father um, felt quite ill with dementia, which I'm so glad you brought um, the Alzheimer's Foundation in today. And so the past year writing was really therapeutic for me as he was going through his illness. Two weeks ago he passed, um, and so right now I'm just dealing with that. And it's really, you know, as we know, the books I write about, and as Ken uh, lightly discussed, it's generally, I'm trying to be educational, but they are based in sorrow and loss in many cases, and so I'm gonna deal with my own and get in the right headspace before I go back to that. Uh, because I don't want to just bury it. Um, I need to spend time with that, and then I'll go back to the writing. Got it, yeah, so yep. you're going to take your time. So yep. I'm, I'm sure I speak for everybody to share our yeah, condolences. Thank you, thank you yeah. very much. Well, so, Stomp, anything I missed here? Come on, Not really. <laughs> now you know why he's I have a, to be He's a conscientious observer, you know? <laughs> I've got one foot out the door, I guess, huh? this podcast thing. Know. His questions are very self-absorbed. Like, Wayne, where are the speeding traps? And you know, it's all. It's, I was like, he's so intense. Like, he's like nothing, absorbing it all. There's nothing else. I mean, so. Wow. So I, I really don't have anything. So where do we go here? Are we doing Q and A? Well, I was, that's what I was thinking about. See, that's that's how I work. I'm thinking, what are we doing next? So, you, you do gotta, you guys like, have any questions? Because we do that, have. Um, see, where that like snowmobiling? I think so. Yeah. Like, law enforcement patch on there. 
Is that a game warden patch here? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. That's, like that somebody somebody me that. That's like Special. the equivalent of you getting like a state police sticker uh, uh, yeah, on the back exactly. of your car, even like, though you have no which is, which is meaning, no. Those are meaningless. <laughs> they don't work. Those don't work. <laughs> right. So uh, it's your call. We do have a couple search and rescue stories, but uh, honestly, if, if there's enough uh, questions, we can set up a mic and do that instead, I think. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's do, do it. it. Come on up if you have a question. Tell for the feedback. You want to probably come over there. So, so I have a question about uh, search and rescue. There were a couple of episodes on Northwoods Law where people disappeared in the woods for a really long period of time. One guy for six days in the PEMI, another kid for three days on, on some other mountain. I, I don't understand how it's possible to just survive for six days with with no gear what what do you make of these extended disappearances yeah interesting question um because we don't like looking for people for very long to be honest with you so if there's an extended one there's usually a political reason so you know the senator from massachusetts called our governor or something like that so Three days is usually, to be honest with you, three days of intense, intense looking is what you'll see. Maybe a fourth day you'll start seeing winding down. And depending where that location is, is it, is it in the mountains? Is it in you know, the foothills? Um, we, we mentioned Alzheimer's. We, we look for people that walk away from the houses on a regular basis, that type of thing. So, but people can survive. It, it's unbelievable what the human body can do. I, it, it's just amazing. I, I can think of several ones that, you know, walked in and out of search areas. They were actually found in areas we already searched, but they were in this, you know, why we searched it, they weren't there. But they walked back into that search area, and then we ended up cutting tracks and finding them. But the human body is absolutely amazing, and your will to survive. So if you decide you're going to die, you will probably die. But if you, in your head, are like, I'm not going to die, and I'm going to do everything I can not to die, you've already set the stage for survival. And that is the key, is the mental you know, conditioning of what you have when you're out there. So if you've determined that you're gonna die, you're probably gonna die. And then if you're gonna live, you're gonna do everything in your power and you may live five or six days. Water's really prevalent in the whites, so we're gonna definitely have water so we can go a long time. Food. You don't need to eat for, you know, five days or so. So you, you got five days. The extreme cold is what we fight. And when it's extreme cold, there's, there's nothing really that you can do unless you have the equipment to do it. Uh, and that's, that's what, you know, kills people. So, but, yeah, I yeah. think just to add to that, um, the, the book I'm researching now, it, it, it involved, they were searching for two missing ice climbers who were going fast and light. Um, and so I want to make two points. One is the power of being with somebody else when you're in trouble uh, because you're feeding off of each other. It's almost like you're trying to save the person you're with before yourself. Uh, and, I, and the other thing with this story, because it was incredibly cold um, and there was a ton of snow where they were, is primitive skills. They relied solely on primitive skills. They had no food, they had no water, they had no sleeping bags, they had no, they were critically injured, um, but they lived through a situation that I think many people would have quit on. Um, 
And so I go back to that getting an insulating layer between yourself and the cold ground, um, huddling with one another, uh, you know, just to, to preserve that core body temperature. It, it can be done. I'm, I think that's one of the things I most want to come out of the next book. Uh, not only the selflessness and sacrifice of our search and rescue community, but um, that we can survive um, in the worst possible situations in the mountains. I, I got a quick story, and I, your comedian who started kind of reminded me of the story, and I want to share it because it's kind of a funny story, but and it was kind of, it was in the Lincoln Woods where this, and they just started dating maybe the week before or something, so they go on this hike and they get waylaid overnight, and he is really into survival. So everything's frozen, so I have to interview this nice young lady, very attractive after the search and rescue, and, and I start talking, asking her what happened and everything, and then I get to the point, well, what did you drink? Well, everything was frozen. And I'm like, I, there's a pause there, and I'm like, what's going on here? And she's like, well, you know, I forget his name, but he, he, he drank his urine. And I, and I was like, <laughs> and my face must have shown it. And she's like, he didn't have to do that, did he? <laughs> and I said, I, I certainly would have if one night out. I think I could have survived without doing that. So at the end of the search and rescue, it was very, very clear she was very uncomfortable with him and was in a hurry to get home so she could grab her own car and, and separate. So... But that, all, all, all the talk about the other stuff, I was like, uh, that reminds me of that. I was a trainee then, so. But um, wow, but the wills to survive. He really wanted to survive that one night out. And thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, something serious is something funny. That's worse than <laughs> anybody else. This is Mike's first date. Can I just say, you know, Ty, I had an opportunity and pleasure, uh, honor to sit through your morning after report with the Penny Valley Search and Rescue Team about Kate. And, that, and with your conversation, that's what struck me out of your hour talk was she hadn't had a drop to drink because all her water was frozen. I, it, it, it never dawned on me. That stuck with me forever. And, you know, you talk about water and you talk about cold conditions, and that's, that's what, you know, that really hit you that, that talk, among a lot of other things. And you're on the PEMI team? Ah, well, but thank you, thank you, thank you for volunteering. Wait a minute, come up here, we have to hear the story. <laughs> Any other questions? Do you want to come up? It's a little easier for everybody to hear, and you'll be famous next Friday. All right, so Rhode Island has a question. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> Shit down immediately. I didn't say anything. I said nothing about Rhode Island. But just. Hopefully it's not too contentious for you, but do you have a perspective on the paid model for charging for unprepared search and rescues in New Hampshire versus the rest of the nation, which doesn't tend to follow it? Because I, I support it. I don't really see it having a negative impact, but I don't know. Oh, boy, that's a good question. It's a tough question, too. I, I, I think it helps because we have this, such a great volume of search and rescue to put that out. I mean, it, it was a blast across everything. So, and you have to be really reckless 
in order to do that. And I was involved with one that went all the way through the Attorney General, and we were going to trial. I was sitting there that day with a woman that, this is her second search and rescue, so that we were charging her with, yeah. Yeah, so number two, and she was from Maine, and she was just clueless, and uh, it, w it was a big search and rescue, helicopters. Helicopters are $2,500 an hour, is that's what the National Guard going rate was when I was lieutenant five years ago, so depending the fuel economy there. So once you start doing that, search and rescues get very expensive very quickly. And going through the process, and I got had to go down to Concord like four different times to meet with the Attorney General, right up to the point where we're going to trial and they settled prior to trial. So I don't think we make any money on it, so to speak, but I think it's a deterrent. And I think just, just what you said, being from Rhode Island, you know that you could be charged for being reckless. So I think that's a very good deterrent there. Do we charge people that break their legs slipping? No, absolutely. That's not, you know, that, that's part of being in search and rescue. If you're negligent and you have a hike safe card, we're going to probably look the other way. Um, but when you're reckless and you're, it's your second search and rescue, we're going to charge you. And I'll, I'll tell you, our colonel is pretty adamant about charging people that are reckless. And when that borders that negligent reckless, he'll say, you know, charge him. We'll let the chips fall where they may. Um, another funny story, search and rescue. Uh, it was a guy that was lost on Mount Washington winter time. And he was actually at the Mount Washington Hotel. So I had called there to find out. We had a helicopter up and everything. He was a professor down at BU. Yeah. Really nice guy. So as I walk up to the Mount Washington, he's having a coffee, sitting in the foyer, and I sit down and I start questioning him and start, we start talking and chatting. And all of a sudden, he understands that, oh, this is serious. I could get charged for the search and rescue. And that's the question he asked, how much does a helicopter cost, you know? And I said, about $2,500 an hour. I goes, and he's like, and, and, you, and his breathing changed too. And he's like, you know, he's taking deep breaths and he goes, so how long was that helicopter up looking for me? And I'm like, well, they got to fly from Concord. It's, it's 30 minutes, so 30 minutes back, that's an hour. They've been up about three hours, so they refueled once. And yeah, and he's like, oh my. So, and, and I will say his intentions were great because when he got to the Mount Washington, he messaged his wife, but he never signed on to the Mount Washington... Uh, Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, thank you. Uh, for the Wi-Fi, so it never went through. So he showed me on his phone his message to his wife, which probably was his saving grace. But he also made a donation, a pretty good donation, actually, when he figured out what the cost was and what the cost he could be paying. But just to see that professor's change in attitude as we're talking, and all of a sudden it comes over that he could get charged for the search and rescue, the guy went white, totally white. And he was like, and then he starts to try to, because he was very deductive. He wanted to know what, what this is going to, how much does a helicopter cost? You know, how, how many people do you have looking for me? <laughs> you know, and he's trying to figure it out. And, he, and he's figuring it out. And he's like, so this is around $10,000 so far. I said, yep, about $10,000, I'm guessing. So, and he's like, wow. So, but a great, great individual. And, and, and he tried to do the right thing. He texted his wife. He just wasn't signed on to the Wi-Fi. So it didn't go anywhere. But yes, yeah, so I, I think it's a really good deterrent. And we made nationwide news on that. So, because we're the only one that does it. And uh, even in Rhode Island, you heard about it. So, no, I, th I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly a deterrent for the folks that invest in the Hike Safe program and follow the 10 essentials. Um, I think that is a, that's a group that has an awareness around it. 
how many of you are likely going to speed when you drive home? Honestly. Okay. So there are people that show up that they're still, they're still going, even though there's that deterrence of a fine, just like with a speeding ticket, we're still going to have people arrive in the mountains that are undeterred by the, the possibility of, um, of being penalized. So. Good analogy. Hmm? You don't think it would discourage somebody who needs it calling? No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I don't think it ever has. It may empower you to do your own search and rescue, which we encourage. So, because like I said before, cell phones, people were search and rescue. And it's amazing when I would make that cell phone call and say, hey, it's going to be two or three hours before the first rescuer gets on scene. And they're like, two or three hours? And I'm like, yeah, we, we got to hike up to you. We got, you know, they're busy. They're doing this. So they got to drive there. They got to get the equipment. And so they got to hike up to you. Two hours is probably a good response time. And then all of a sudden, we're like, well, you know, uh, maybe I can make it. I'm like, why don't you try to make it? And we'll start the process. And some of them made it out. Uh, one lady hiked out with a broken leg, you know. Um, well, should I encourage her to do that? I don't know. She was a tough woman. So um, she called me up and said, yeah, it was, I had an x-ray. It was broken. I'm like, wow. I said, for good for you for hiking out on a broken leg. So... Um, it's so much easier to, to hike out than it is to carry out, let's face it. So um, broken leg or not broken leg. If you can't do it, you know it. I had a broken leg. I walked on it, and I'll tell you what. I knew when I couldn't. I was like, ooh, this is bad. So, um, but, so self-rescuing is huge. So that's why we carry our equipment in your packs. And, you know, you have hopefully have your hiking buddy uh, or hiking buddies and uh, work with that. Yeah, I, I hike by myself, too, so I, I get it. So, yeah. He's, he's giving me that evil look, I know. So don't worry about it. I hike by myself all the time, too. So. Any other questions? <laughs> so I have a, just an observation about the alternatives, kind of follow on her question. So I've been out in California hiking, and in the winter they actually have signs that it's against the law to hike where there's snow in certain parts of California. So I guess that would be the alternative that you want to avoid, is pro just prohibiting hiking where live there is snow. Live for your die. Right. So live for your die, you want to preserve that. One thing they did have, which um, we use at a certain point, was they do have these little stations, metal stations with like bottled water and cans of food. So they do have that. I don't know if you've ever thought about having just I little... I hope that never happens. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I do think people should know that that's the alternative. We brought our spikes. We were out in California and it would be against the law um, where we were in Palm Springs to hike in the snowy part. So... You know, I think it's, it's better, much better here that you're able to do that responsibly. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on over. And Hi there. You, you can always tell us who you are, too. Well, he, he looks like he might make a good game warden. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm John. I'm actually from Connecticut. That didn't get mentioned earlier. But oh, maybe anyway. not. <laughs> Just that, uh, this is a more along the lines of a search and rescue question, so I didn't know if you thought of any areas where you constantly have to save people with broken limbs if there was any chance that some type of man-made, whether it be a piece of rebar in a rock. I was recently in New York at Breakneck Ridge and one of the locals said, we don't have stuff like that here. Take the thrill out of it. And there was a 400-foot drop straight down and you have a 30-foot walkway to go across and it was on a little bit of an angle, but it's literally straight down, you know, so... 
I don't know if you saw any injuries where you would think that you know maybe I should contact the AMC or it, you know. it's been suggested for Huntington Ravine to and it's more of a guide because sometimes people get off of the the, 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 the head wall there and they end up stranded because they're not on the trail anymore so more of a guide than a link I think um, for that but that's the only place and it's very difficult to do anything in the, the National Forest. I mean, to get those signs, it was an act of God. Um, but I was very persistent, so I got my way eventually. But it took a long time, and they knew I wasn't going away. So, um, yeah. yeah. I think this, this does come up a lot where there, I mean, there are areas of the White Mountains that have higher frequencies of accidents and trouble than others. Um, but I think what we need to remember is that it's unpredictable in general, and it's not necessarily the location, it's, it's the decisions that are made um, that sometimes even before you arrive at that spot, I think that can, that can contribute to the trouble that folks run into that cause Wayne um, and the volunteers to come out to, um, to assist with. So I, I think there's just, Yes, there are those spots that we could sign or put up equipment or, or warnings or things like that. But again, I think just with the nature of the terrain here and the unpredictability of the weather, you're, you'd have signs everywhere because there's the potential anywhere. It's a lot of it has to do with, with us and what we choose to and do. And I totally agree. And the guy that we rescued in Huntington Ravine actually read that sign so, and continued on. So that made, that made me feel good, though. Yeah. Because I'm not a sign guy either, because we'd all have our signs, you know? Here's my sign, here's Ty's sign. So, um, and, and I'm not a big sign guy either. I like the woods to be natural as much as possible. And, you know, even being in the national parks where they like, this is a rock, this is a red rock. This is, you know, it gets, it gets old very quick. I like to figure that out myself. I'm a live for your die guy. So. I have an interesting question for you, for you, Wayne. Oh, boy. Oh, you bet. Um, what's your take on um, feeding gray jays? There may be a picture or two out there of me feeding gray jays. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's cool. Let's face it. No. <laughs> there, there, is, there is discussion about how it butts heads with leave no trace and, you know, just good stewardship and everything else. And you're giving these little guys processed Are you trying foods. to make me feel guilty? No. <laughs> It's coming down the highway, though. This is a premonition. Yeah, and we, we had a little martin, pine martin, on top of uh, yeah, the Dixville Peaks there. Yeah. It was the fattest pine martin you've ever seen in the world. <laughs> the snowmobile would drive up, and that pine martin would come running out. Oh, that's beautiful. And it just depended what everybody had, you know? And Yeah, he was a chuggy little thing, but he was cute, too. So yeah. I, It's a human nature, you know? A, yeah, a, to, yeah. to get that gray jay to sit on your hand and whack away, and it's cool it is so it is. and you know i guess the biologist would say that's unnatural i know but we're human we like that connection so we should have a <laughs> wildlife connection somehow some way can't yeah. take all the fun out of it oh well, there you go that's there's there's the answer on the gray jays i know that's the unofficial it's the unofficial one the other one is don't do it <laughs> so we have we have time any other questions anybody Everybody's good, so... Oh, Stephen, come on over. 
right. Mr. Reckless Steve. Do a good job here, Steve. Yeah, so this will either be a great way to kind of like wrap things up or it might be a total technical flop. I wanted to know, Stomp, if there's a way to record your crowd here applauding and replace the canned applause that you use often on the podcast. That hurts. Hey, uh, while I feel we, like I'm on a Kill Tony quick, episode now. Quickly, um, while Steven's up here, just wanted to just remind people the purpose of Full Conditions is to support Search and Rescue. That was the genesis of the beer the in the first Council. place, and it's all about the New Hampshire Outdoor Council, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that supports Search and Rescue throughout New Hampshire and allows them... Uh, to do all the good work they do by donating equipment, sending them to technical training, providing uh, training around post-traumatic stress because they are first responders in the wilderness who see bad things in beautiful places. Um, and that's the kind of thing that you're supporting tonight. So, Stephen and Reckless, thank you very much. Yeah. So, yeah, let's do it. Wow, great idea, Steve. That was, that was killer. You'll have All a right. live audience for the rest of the podcast. I mean. No kidding, right? Wow. So, thank, want to do thank yous? And well, I just, I just appreciate it. I get so much anxiety with the idea of doing these live shows. Honestly, like I get super nervous. And, you know, when, when you're in the moment and you start, it's fine. But I just get super nervous. So, like that, that applause right there. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I mean... I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to be a big baby, but I, I, I got a little choked up there. So thank you so much. And it's great, I'm, uh, it's great that my family can be here to witness this too. So. Mike, yeah. that's why I signed you up for the race this morning, just to distract you for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so no, a I race and then a live show. So, yeah. Why not? But thank you so much for everyone coming here. I can't believe anybody even wants to listen to us. So <laughs> it's great. All right. So I guess this is a wrap. Um, now, wait a second. I want everybody to sign up for the Warden's Watch podcast, too, because oh, as course. these guys know, followers is the only way that you survive. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So, and we have decals up here. I got the little decals are in out of the big ones, but grab a little one, put on your water bottle, uh, tell your friends about it, and uh, just hit that little plus sign because for these guys, too, if you're following them, it's like a bean count. So we, yeah. we look at our stats all the time. And podcasting is hard work, believe it or not. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, and especially when you have your own schedule and you're, you're trying to put things out. And it, it, it's uh, my hat's off to these guys because education is the way we're going to reach a lot of people. And there's a lot of young uh, or educated people or non-educated people listening to the podcast. It's, it's, it's a, so much of a variety. It just blows my mind when I have people say that listen to my podcast. And I'm like, really? So, <laughs> But thank you. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been an honor, actually. Yeah. And Ty, how do we get a hold of you online? Um, I have Instagram. I don't post generally. But uh, fullconditionsnh.com is my website. You can email me through there. Uh, I'm always happy to talk to anybody. Awesome. And I love you both. I love you too, brother. And thanks thank for having me and Wayne. I love you too. Thank right. you, Wayne. Thank Let, you, Ken. Let's drink some beer. Thank let's you, tip the bartenders. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. 
Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.